right, welcome everybody to the Angry Wargamer podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason, the Angry Wargamer, and tonight it's just going to be me and Drew. Yeah, unless uh, Orlando suddenly appears out of the ether, it's just the two of us. Yeah, it's all right, though. We got some stuff to go over, and um, I want to kind of go back to our last podcast where we talked about the Mike Z thing and we kind of just glossed over it just to kind of give like a timeline of shit that happened because I guess this year is like the year the FGC decided to implode on itself. Not FGC stands for fighting game community for anybody that doesn't know. And um, a lot of allegations and stuff came out from a whole bunch of people like zero um, one of the top, Smash Brothers players, he got accused of stuff, and he's completely disappeared. His YouTube channel is still there, but he hasn't uploaded anything new. His Twitter is just gone, and I haven't seen anything on his Instagram. So, um, and I know he was working on some projects, starting his own like team and stuff like that, just before all that happened. But yeah, so um, something else happened too. Um, one of the one of the chairs of one of the big conventions. It might have either Evo. It probably Evo. Um, it was Evo. Yeah, Evo got caught doing some stupid shit too. So, um, so this is. I'm gonna go through a couple articles, kind of give a timeline of stuff. So the whole Mike Z. Mike Z is the lead gameplay designer for Skullgirls, and his Lab Zero. I want to say it was. Yeah, I believe that's the name, yes. Uh, of the studio. Yeah, Lab Zero Games is the name of the studio. So um, June 29th of 2020, um, he was accused of inappropriate behavior. Now, mind you, this is from .esports.com uh, is the source on this one. So just... I'm just going to go ahead and read the article, I guess. Just weeks after being publicly condemned and having to apologize to, for making a joke about George Floyd's final words live on stream, Skullgirls lead... Oh, man, I even forgot about that. Holy crap. Um, yeah, I guess he said some comments about that. We can go to that later. I don't, I'm not even sure what he said. <laughs> I can't even remember now. But Skullgirls lead game designer, Mike, Mike Z. Zamanthus? I don't know. I'm not even just going to call him Mike Z from now on. Um, has been accused of inappropriate behavior by multiple members of the community and former and a former co-worker. Bunny AU, a cosplayer and popular Twitch streamer, posted an entire gallery of messages exchanged between herself and Mike, saying she would no longer be playing Skullgirls after sharing the images. The conversation initially started out with Bunny AU thanking Mike for BDSM inclusions in the game. And from there, the conversation got strange. Mike started responding with large paragraphs of information at once, spitting them up using transitions that implied he was either talking to himself or describing his thought process. While the timeline of the conversation was clear, eventually things took a very inappropriate turn. So... Um, this kind of caught everybody off guard because Sonic Fox even po posted on June 29th. They got a tweet in the article that says, I just woke up. What happened now? I think that should be everybody's response when, you know, you're just getting up in general because it's 2020. Yeah, for the most part. But then, man, this is like, this came at a time where a whole bunch of people, Chris Tertarian, Esam, 
Filipino champ. They all got hit with a bunch of stuff. Uh, Filipino chat said something on stream around the whole George Floyd thing that was inappropriate. Uh, he got dropped by a bunch of his people. Chris T, same thing happened to him, but some, he said something different. Or he it was a former accusations, like long time ago type thing. And then Esam, same thing. In the past, he had said some stuff, and his team actually stuck with him. So, yeah. A uh, big reason... Uh, oh, this is from her. A uh, big reason I'm talking... Or I'm taking a break from the SGC is sexual harassment. I received from a big creator, Bunny said. It was... Out of nowhere and really mortified me, uh, you aren't alone. So uh, after the statements, others started coming out with their own stories, including someone who worked with Mike on the game at Lab Zero Games, confirmed that uh, this was a pattern. His behavior, he was frequently, uh, he would frequently tell him racist jokes and repeat it to him multiple times. Among many others, deeming, uh, deeming forms of harassment, scapegoating, gaslighting, verbal threats, and physical harm to to me mike z made an extremely problematic and racist remark to me uh, a total of three times each time i politely explained to him the racism and asked him to never repeat it twitter user mr bezul said so this was on this article is from the 29th um like i said from dot esports.com uh then further on down the line August 24th, workers leave Skullgirls developers over studio head's behavior. So a bunch of people left him. This article is from Kotaku, and I hate to read anything from Kotaku because I just, I hate all of their articles, and they very much lean to one side on everything, and I don't know. Usually anytime I read a bad article, it's from fucking Kotaku. So, but this one's from them, so if you want to go read it. Uh, I already read your workers leave Skullgirls developer over studio heads behavior. This one's August 24th, 2020. Uh, let me skip over the information I've already told you guys. All right. After weeks of uh, trying to make things work out with Mike Z, I've decided to quit my job at Lab Zero Games. Our producer, Brian EU03, um, wrote on Twitter yesterday. Uh, I was shocked to read others company chat records of Mike Z putting others in extremely uncomfortable situations as well as exerting his position over power uh, of position of power to uh, demean and control employees. This was a clear pattern of systematic abuse and lack of empathy while himself refusing to accept feedback and now and not showing a willingness to change. I guess a bunch of other people came out. Here's another quote. Uh, this, this one doesn't even say who it's from. Mike Z thinks he may be acting, uh, maybe acting what is best for the company. He's clearly in direct opposition of health of the employees. Oh, June. That's the guy's name. Brian June. Uh, continued, he clearly no longer wishes to negotiate with any sensibility to do what is best for my friends and colleagues. I am removing myself from Lab Zero Games. So, yeah. Oh, there was also an update. Hold on. <laughs> yep oh there we go uh same same day about 4 p.m another coworker came out says i tolerated years of sexual comments about my body and clothes uncomfortable jokes unwanted hugs cartwright wrote uh, he once suggested that i masturbate when i told him i couldn't sleep and another occasion suggested i help him with his unfulfilled sexual needs i did try to talk to him about it 
uh, about how uncomfortable I was uh, in 2017. And in return, he called me a hypocrite and blamed me for how I dressed. He said he didn't want sexual harassment training. If I wanted to keep my job, uh, I felt like I had to deal with uh, just deal with it. That's fucking frightening. All right. So fast forward until September, September 3rd. So just this month. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say today is September 26th, 2020. Um, it looks like Lab Zero is closing their doors. Uh, so 9-3 of 2020, Skullgirls Skull developer lays off everyone who hadn't already quit. So uh, he's saying it's because of financial obligation to, to pay them. Um, but clearly he was losing everything. Uh, where is it? Some there's something in here where somebody's actually still continuing with the Skullgirls. Where'd it go? Mm, I don't know. There's a company still out there developing the game for the mobile, and I don't remember who's doing it. Either way, yeah. So Lab Zero fired all of, or let go all of the. Oh, there it is. Skullgirls property owner Autumn Games and Skullgirls mobile developer Hidden Variable Studios have promised to keep the fighting game alive with the help of former Lab Zero staff for the foreseeable future. Annie, a long-awaited fan-favorite character, will be added to the mobile port this year before eventually heading to the main game in 2021 with more content to come later. So I guess they're still developing it, and the studio who owns it uh, is going to try to keep it going with former staff. So it looks like the staff moved on to another company. Well, it's good that they managed to find a place to uh, to go from that debacle. So that's a good thing. Yeah, just, man, that's crazy. It's just, it's, I don't know. You would think 2020 would have a better outcome on stuff, but in better news, we mentioned before, uh, we didn't mention, but it's new news. Uh, Microsoft bought the head company of Bethesda, Zenimax, um, and. There's a couple articles there. So where do I want to start with this? Oh, uh, this one's from Polygon. So why Microsoft acquired Bethesda and why Bethesda sold. No one really knows why they sold, which is weird. But in an analysis article from GeekWire, uh, analysis Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda is a massive disruption for the video game industry. I don't know. There's some things that make sense and some things that don't make sense. I think it... Bethesda has a hu- had a huge debacle over what the last two years with Fallout seventy six, right? Not just Fallout seventy six, but a, a lot of uh, many of their properties are starting to uh, the cracks are starting to show in their in the way that they make their games. Uh, Fallout seventy six was one of them. I want to say the uh, I, th- I think the Batman game that they made was hit or miss from what I heard as well. I don't remember a Batman um, game, but obviously. Uh, there, there was a. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Telltale. Never mind, that's a different company. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but additionally, uh, I don't. Uh, uh, getting Bethesda is probably a great thing because with with that they have access to a bunch of really cool IP. Uh, Doom being one of them because Doom Eternal was absolutely amazing. Yeah, they get. Uh, um, what did they say they got? They actually get. So somebody brought up something. So Xbox is the only game that doesn't have a crossover like game title so playstation had playstation all-stars um nintendo has smash brothers and that style game where it takes advantage of all of their ip basically um in the analysis 
It says that they get Elder Scroll, El- the Elder Scroll series, so Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim, which I think wasn't a, a Morrowind exclusive to the Xbox back in the day. Yes, it was. Yeah, so I think they already kind of had that IP. They get the Doom IP, uh, Wolfenstein, Dishonored, Fallout, Prey, and the Evil Within titles. It's a good thing. Maybe they'll actually yeah. go and take Fallout. Maybe they'll take the Fallout franchise and maybe improve it with uh, some delicious Microsoft money. That's what I'm thinking, but I have a feeling you're going to end up with uh, an EA style thing where they're going to take money from, you know, like loot boxes and shit like that. Well, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse on that one because until you can see concrete proof that that's what's going to occur, it's just best to it's just best to kind of stay away from that kind of shit because I don't with, with, with especially with that. And this is coming from the cynic. I, I don't. I, this only can be good for Microsoft because let's be honest, the uh, this generation hasn't been kind to them in contrast to, to other generations where like the 360 and the original Xbox had a more vibrant um, game base. I really feel like though Xbox One just lagged so far behind with exclusives and co- concrete game, uh, game base. I, their library just didn't feel nearly as thrilling as it usually does. Stuff that you know, stuff that would have gotten me interested in potentially buying an Xbox platform back in the day. I just look at it now and go, "Well, what's the fucking point, dude?" Cuphead yeah. was an exclusive for their company, and the Switch ended up getting it. So, <laughs> holy shit! Hold on, I didn't realize this too. Okay, so they said um, it's they're trying to say it's bad because of the sheer franchise density the Xbox is going to hold now. So by buying ZeniMax, Microsoft has expanded Xbox Game Studios network from 15 to 23 studios, which include ID Software, Doom, Quake, um, Arcane, Dishonored, Prey, the forthcoming Deathloop, uh, Tango Gameworks, The Evil Within, and the forthcoming Ghostwire Tokyo, and the mobile game studios Alpha Dog, Monstrosity Rampage, and Machine Games, which does all of the Wolfenstein since 2014. Um, when combined with the micro with Microsoft's other acquisitions, this premise uh, promises to put a frankly insane number of major and fundamental st- foundational studios and franchises directly under Microsoft's control. Some of which uh, are tent poles for the entire entirety of the modern video game market. A single company will own Minecraft, Doom, Halo, Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Battletoads, Killer Instincts, Psychonauts, Age of Empires, Wolfenstein, Wasteland, Perfect Dark, and Hellblade. Hellblade and more. If you sat down and made that, made a list of the overall top franchises in video game history, some of which have spent decades and generations building up their IP, Microsoft is now eas- will now easily own a quarter of them. It can only be good for the platform. Now, for the overall gaming environment, that's that, that's yet to be. In a lot of cases, there are many people who say that they're just going to lock down everything and only Xbox is going to have access to anything Bethesda makes. But I imagine that contractually speaking, that that's probably not the case. They might get top billing for stuff, but there is no way in hell a company would not want to make sure that their game is being played across multiple platforms. It's money. Right, this... It's just a money thing. Now, maybe they it's should... the fact that, I, that Microsoft would make money off of it. Maybe that would change the script. I don't know. I don't want to assume that it's going to be a doom and gloom scenario and that everything everything that ZeniMax owned is going to be off the table for every other system. 
especially because you did have situations where a lot of shit ended up on the Nintendo Switch that uh, wouldn't normally have been on there. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and a better connection relationship with Microsoft, from what I heard. What, what was it? E, um, E3 2019, where a lot of the stuff that uh, Microsoft was doing, they're trying, they were trying to uh, help prop up the Nintendo as a platform for whatever reason. I don't know why. You can uh, you can link your Nintendo Switch to your Xbox Live profile and earn achievements on your Xbox Xbox Live um, profile. Is that was like the big thing that they were trying to do while releasing uh, like a lot of their third party titles, um, which Nintendo, by the sounds of it, already had access to them from these companies. And this actually brings up the next part of the article, which is says Microsoft as a gatekeeper. Says with all the uh, with any other console manufacturer, past or present, you'd expect this kind of deal to involve some amount of exclusivity. With Sony or Nintendo, an acquisition of this magnitude would come with an assumption that Bethesda's various franchises, from this point forward, could only be played on their owners' platforms, with the incentive of consumers to buy into a particular console. Microsoft doesn't seem to have that issue. Most of the, its exclusives for the Microsoft One are also playable on the PC via the Microsoft Store, which is built into every installation of Windows 10, and many, including Halo Infinite, may, uh, to my surprise, are or will be available for digital download via Steam. You can even play Minecraft right now on the PlayStation 4, and the Microsoft-published Ori and Willow of the Wisps is now available on Nintendo on the Nintendo Switch. That doesn't mean that it that it's that it is various. That doesn't read right. That doesn't mean that its various recent acquisitions have no value to Microsoft. Of course, with Bethesda's track record in particular, it is not a question of whether or not Microsoft makes the money back, but uh, because it's it absolutely will. The next Elder Scrolls game uh, would need to be an apoc- apocalyptic disaster in order to not be a blockbuster, and now Microsoft gets a piece of that. You won't necessarily have to buy an Xbox to play these games, however. And the f- and the flies in the face of the industry precedent, Microsoft's acquisition are more about uh, area denial. It gets to decide whether or not these games show up on competitors' flat platforms. If they do at all, then the argument in favor of purchasing purchasing an Xbox, it's weakening Sony's position, not strengthening its own. So there you go. <laughs> it, it basically, if it gets into a fight with PlayStation, can be like, nah, you don't get access to that. Well, as a company, it's only pre- it's only natural that they would want to have a more have a dominant position in the market, especially at this point where the PS4 was top dog, basically the entirety of it, uh, the entirety of this generation. With uh, dude, X, the, the Xbox One was lagging so far behind; it was third place in front of Nintendo on some metrics. That's insanity. Nintendo mm-hmm. has always been happy to be in third place, uh, especially with a lot of that stuff because it was never playing the same ball game that they. But when the when the fucking paradigm shifted that hard, and many people who were uh, were hardcore Xbox fans who still played it, their major ca- catch was what you were talking about. It's called Game Pass. You can play any of their games on the PC or on a system. So it was basically like you were playing on a, a PC, no matter whether you were playing on your Xbox or not. So right. they didn't care. The versatility was there, and one of the major he- things that they're going to be able to win in this next generation is anything that's on the Switch, on PC, and on their next their Xbox platform is all going to be cross-platform. So if like I'm playing Paladins on my Switch, I can play it with anybody on any of those three other consoles. Sony is still pretty much 
being pretty uh, market xenophobic, as it were, when it comes to that stuff. They're edging in they, a little bit and they're dipping their toe in, but it's not good enough. I think they actually stopped doing that because people were giving them such shit that on a couple of games, they actually opened up all of the platforms. So they opened up, um, I want to say Fortnite was the big one that they opened up. Because everyone was just like, well, what do you mean I can't play cross-platform with other people? Like, I want to. And I think uh, PlayStation finally folded towards the end of the year. But that was after the announcement that Xbox had already started doing that kind of partnership with Nintendo. I don't know. Nintendo is never going to compete with them. And they actually mentioned it in here. Because, um, yeah, they... So further down in the article, it says it's not hard to see uh, to see this as a flex. By way of comparison, Nintendo is regularly profitable, but has no side hustle. It's a game and game related franchises uh, are all it has. Sony has a lot going on in and out of its media endeavors, but his overall business strategy with PlayStation has always been somewhat conservative. It would it probably could withstand substantial risk for its PlayStation project without imp- uh, impacting its overall viability, but it doesn't, uh, but it doesn't want to. Both of Microsoft's major competitors in the console space can thus be relied upon to act more or less like a normal business world, at least most of the time with an eye towards their overall bottom line. So it sounds like what Xbox wants to do is it wants to work with everybody just to fat in its pockets because now it sells the games on the Nintendo Switch. Nintendo Switch is the is I'm I'm gonna say it's the second biggest console. I, I want to say it's the first just because everybody I know owns one and a PlayStation or an Xbox. So it's like Nintendo is literally playing its own game. So for Microsoft to be like, well I want to sell double my games now because they're gonna buy it on the Nintendo Switch and they're gonna buy it on the Xbox. So now they're gonna get all of that value. I could definitely see that. My major thing going forward is as we shift into the next generation, I I think the reduction in, in systems is going to be very pronounced. With COVID occur- having happened and everything's just starting to get back to normal, quote-unquote, um, people aren't going to be doing the same kind of pickups that they used to do. Games are jumping in price by $10. All gaming across the board, it looks like in 2021, I believe is when it's starting, are going to be 70 bucks plus. Which, uh, according to people I've talked to, they say that's just normal inflation. If you're a gamer and you're okay with paying the extra $10, go for it. I absolutely am not going to argue with somebody who's, who wants to use their expendable income whatever way they want. I think the, I think the issue with um, there, I don't think there's going to be an issue with the seventy dollar thing. The only because a lot of people, myself included, what happens is, is I'll see a game, I'll look at it, and be like I don't know, I don't know. I'll watch a major streamer play it, or I'll watch somebody like a little playthrough of the game to be like, okay, this is my kind of style. And then half the time, I'll wait for it to go on discount on the store. So if it goes on discount on the store, hey, guess what? I'm going to buy it at that discount. So I'm not really paying the $70 because I'll, I'll be patient enough to wait to play that game. But this is more directed towards early adopters. In most cases with, uh, with the $70 price mark, this is affecting people who are jumping into a platform on the front side. The streamers that you say you watch, in most cases, the lo- the, those bigger streamers may get free copies, but not everyone does. A lot of people still pay out of pocket on that. And their, their streams, 
their videos, if they're on YouTube, those all depend on whether they can get, get access to those copies in an affordable manner. Cause that's all bottom line stuff for them when they get to the end of the year and see how much they had to spend to try and make their money and see if they made their money back at all. That's what I'd be concerned about. If you're going to look at it from a business standpoint, from a consumer mm -hmm. standpoint, it really, I'm with you in most cases, I'm not even buying something on the front end because in, uh, because there's usually DLC. There's usually a bunch of skins and bullshit that are tacked on. And it's so much easier to just wait until there's a definitive edition that's 20 to $30 cheaper and buy into that. Yep. I have, so I got, I didn't play God of War for the PlayStation until the PlayStation went on sale for that Christmas and I bought myself one. This is like last Christmas. So I waited until the, thank you, that game, I got my PlayStation for, it was like $200 and it came with Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, and Last of Us. So I got three of their top titles for like 200 bucks. There was no way I was passing that up. <laughs> so, and then now those games are all 10 bucks a piece. So it's like, if, if you don't need to get the game right away, I don't see a need to do it. And I know what you're saying. A lot of those big streamers, they get their stuff right away. And there's still stuff that like I'll get right away because like, obviously Pokemon, when Pokemon releases, I'm in line for that pre-order every single time there's not a time i have not paid full price for a pokemon game of course i understand that and for you for people who are diehards of a franchise they're going to be throwing shelling out that 70 bucks i i get it my concern ends up being overall if you're a i'll put you in a mindset because i mean i don't have to go too far with this you're a parent you have a budget and you have a choice of systems that you're going to pick up. Right. You're going to pick one of the ones that's going to give you the best bang for your buck. You're not going to go probably, you're not going to dip your toe any further in though, because of the price of the systems now and the price of the, and the, of the software, you're probably only going to get one of that generation this time around. And you're not going to probably branch out into a second one unless there's a major price drop. I own a switch and a PS4 because the PS4, I managed to get at a relatively decent discount, and I had a credit limit that I could play around with. And as far as the Switch was concerned, I put it on layaway and paid it off. And that was the only reason I picked it up. If it was the next generation and those were like $100 more than what they are at, the point, at this point, I don't think I would waste my time with it. Honestly. I would pick yeah. one or the other, and I would be riding that all the way to the end of the generation. And that's really what I'm looking at right now, because... When I went to GameStop recently, I was talking with somebody about the next generation, and I'm like, I'm not really interested in the PS5 because it doesn't really have anything I'm interested in. There's no games specific that I really give a, give a damn about, and there's nothing that's really grabbing me. They don't have the backwards compatibility that they said they were going to have. They're having slight backwards compatibility with the PS4, which I'm sorry, I don't care enough at this point. I only own five PS4 games. I haven't picked up God of War yet or Horizon Zero Dawn. I wanted to do that at some point. I'd let you borrow them, but fine. I got them digitally. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. And uh, the the major thing for me is is like I'm not. I might just do this. I, I, he told me there's a leasing program that that uh, Microsoft is. You can lease a Xbox One S or S Xbox uh, whatever the hell it's called Series X or Series S, and uh, you get uh, Game Pass with it and Xbox Live. 
and it's like $25 a month until you pay the whole thing off. And then you just keep up the, the subscriptions on Game Pass and Live. Yeah, That'd you can, the, I mean, it'd be the first platform I'd pick up for Xbox because I've never owned an Xbox platform at all. And I, yeah. that's, that's the only thing I'd be interested in. So I hold on to my systems. So I have going to have two PS4s. And it's the only reason I got them, the two PS4s, is because they were cheap. But I can't tell you, like, my Nintendo Switch, I bought brand new. Like, I bought it at release. I said that last time. But I own, what is it, one, two, five 3DS and and 3DS XLs between all of them. I own three different versions of them because I bought I buy into the fucking limited edition or, like, special edition ones, which I haven't started doing with Switches because... God knows fucking $300 a switch is not possible. <laughs> like every time a new like cool one comes out. I have, okay, I take that back. I got two switches now, but I got one for my kid, but I got him the special edition smash one when it first came out. Right. It was, that was the Christmas one that year. Um, after, cause I, the switch released in March. So March, I want to say it was like March 3rd, 2017. And the smash one released, for Christmas that year. So I had a good like nine months build up to buy the stuff, but I don't, I'm like, I'm not selling a PS4 to go buy a PS5. I'm like, that's not going to happen. If I do get a PS5, cool. But now with this article with about, you know, with Xbox buying Bethesda, what reason do I not have to buy Xbox? Their game pass thing just skyrocketed in value over the PlayStation pass. There's no reason for me not to go into Xbox now. And, the, exactly. and it's and it's a hundred dollars cheaper on the digital side. There there's literally uh-huh. no reason to go into the Xbox now. Yep. And that's really the that's really the major thing. And that's what I think Microsoft's intent was. And basically they were trying to make it because if you looked at it, both companies were waiting till the last possible man, fucking second to put out their overall system price. And they were edging it out and edging it out and edging it out over and over again until until some I think it was what was it I think uh, uh, Sony caved first. Yep. And uh, and then and then and then Microsoft put out theirs. Dude, why wouldn't I go in for the cheaper model for for Xbox? Which unfortunately means I'm going all digital, but so is every other fucking thing. My only major headache at this point is the same headache I had with the PlayStation Vita is their memory upgrades are all proprietary and fucking expensive. And that's bullshit. Um, they're not... Hmm, how do I put this? They, so I looked into... I looked into the game drives, quote-unquote, for like the PlayStation, because I was looking at getting one. You can get a lot of them, that, like Seagate, um, WD, a lot of those like um, terabyte drives for cheaper, and they do these... Because they're, all they're doing is storing the game. And all you're doing is moving info from the system into the the storage. So it's literally a hard drive, an external hard drive for the most part. And a lot of these external hard drivers, so hard drives are solid state drives. So it's going to be fast if you think about it. It's not gonna it's not gonna bog down the system. But at the same time, like with the PlayStation, what I do now is I just archive the game. I just archive the game, leave the save files on the system, and then when I want to play it, I'll either delete another game and re-upload another one i still haven't hit the max on mine but like my kid he hit the max on his and that's what he does to flip through games right now is he just 
he archives one game and then downloads another game and starts that one. He only leaves like two or three games at a time that he plays. Smart, because, yeah, that's usually the question a lot of people have to ask themselves at the end of the day, especially people who are on a budget and they're still trying to enjoy gaming. How much, uh, how many games do you want to have rotating on your system if you don't have physical games to do that with? Because, like, if you have the physical discs, you just reinstall the updates and stuff and just play the game again if you want to. Digital, you have to re-download the game and all the updates again, which means you just have the static library of just games that you're never going to touch. How much are you, how much money are you willing to invest in something you're just never going to do anything with? That's, that's the real question when you get into this system. Yeah. A a lot of these drives, you can get like, um, three, four, five terabyte drives. And it's only like a couple hundred dollars more. But even if you just added another terabyte, that's what, like three more games. It's, it is like Agreed. games are great. Games are just becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, we talked about this last time with the generations and how they're doing, um, you know, better graphics, higher, higher quality graphics. They're cramming more and more into these, into these games and they're becoming bigger and bigger and bigger as files, which is without expanding the technology on the drives or finding a way to compress these games. It's, it's going to get out of hand really fast. Oh, I totally agree, 100%. But for people who are... But my statement isn't at, general, at the general purpose, but with people who are budget-oriented trying to game, that's, that, that's the double-edged sword. Paying the 100 extra dollars to, to get a Series X so that you have, a drive, have an actual E-drive, or deep, I guess it would be Blu-ray, right basically have a library on hand because most people still do want physical media to an extent because it's not going to go away. Most people who buy digital, at least in my observations, I'm sure there are a lot more people who buy AAA in digital if there's sales and stuff. They buy yeah. them physical because there's a lot. it's easier to manage your library and it's also kind of a centerpiece. A lot of people use it as kind of their game room aesthetic. They have a library of games behind them at all times. Yeah, my so, Nintendo, my my Switch, I have actually most of most of my stuff. My Switch, if it's a AAA title or something that I can buy a physical copy of, I've bought a physical copy of because absolutely. that's just I just that's how much I enjoy Nintendo and that's kind of the aesthetic I want. Most of my PlayStation stuff, though, on the other hand, is completely digital. I own probably three actual physical copies of a game right now and one of them i didn't even have to buy because right now i i upgraded for street fighter 5 i bought a hard copy and then i i upgraded to the new championship edition which you could do digitally so it's like i have the physical copy i still have to use the disc but everything i need is basically downloaded onto my playstation now right and going forward that's what the industry is going to try and be one of the reasons why GameStop is faltering because physical media as the younger generations become more active in the market with with whatever purchasing power they bring forward they're going to go more digital to them they rationalize paying two to three hundred dollars for a solid state drive that is proprietary for their system is reasonable enough to do that as a tack on price to the system that they're already spending three hundred to six hundred dollars for and for me, 
I'm not in the same boat as they are. If I'm gaming, it's more of a novelty as opposed to me going balls deep like I used to do because I've never, I don't have the time anymore. It's, I'm sure you feel the same way. Oh man, I can't tell you. Like, there's days I load up Animal Crossing, and I thought I'd be a hell of a lot further in Animal Crossing at this point. No, that's not happening. I I'm juggling between. I mean, obviously my day job, um, a family, my house, the podcast, my uh, my union obligations now, and just games that I want to play. So like, I'm still rotating between like Animal Crossing. Uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2, which I just picked up, which I think is dumb of me because I still have Kingdom Hearts I got to finish. And Pokemon, I'm still logging into and playing. I'm playing. Um, it's like I'm, I don't have a consistent schedule of when I'm playing, and I'm not playing for 12, 13, 14 hours like I used to. There's just too much responsibility in my life. It's becoming, literally, it's becoming for me a luxury to play games where. For my kid, I can justify spending the money because I know he's going to get the use out of it. But at the same time, it's it's literally it, just like you said, it's literally becoming too expensive for the normal person to where it's it it's gone beyond a hobby at this point. Oh, oh, absolutely, and it, it to especially for people that I mean, we've talked about it in the podcast before the concept of a hardcore gamer. But that definition hasn't changed, as far as I can tell. We've just kind of been phased out of that realm. I, I hate to admit it, but I dread, every time I look at Octopath, Octopath Traveler, I'm like, I want to play this game. I've avoided spoilers, I've avoided playthroughs, I've done everything in my power to just keep away from it, because I want to sit down and play this. But because of the way that I play... I have to fight that want. I have to sit and go, I cannot touch this game yet. I have to save it because I can't just pick it up and play it for a, a stint and then put it right. away and then do it again because it's a narrative. And if I'm playing an RPG and I'm playing it nitpicky like that where I'm just kind of hopscotching over the weeks and playing an hour here, an hour there, I'm not immersed anymore because I have to spend the time again, spend a good 10, 15 minutes re reacclimating myself to the game reacclimating myself to the controls depending on how far i've gotten the game you you just literally you, you start off what if i save before a bo big boss battle and i have no idea what's going on or what i'm doing it just gets to the point where when you are a gamer and, and and an adult with responsibility you actually start to realize that there's a reason that the youtube let's play can such a vibrant monetary experience because they you are basically having somebody who has the experience play the game for you, and you don't have to pay a red cent to do it. Yeah, I always used to laugh at people that used to watch streamers. I was like, this is dumb. Like, what do you mean watch somebody play? I can't tell you how many... Like, I still watch Trick2G play League of Legends, and I haven't fucking logged into League of Legends since, um, I don't know, what was it? Echo was released. <laughs> like it's been a long time. So like it's, I get what you're saying with like that part of it. And honestly, if, if I put down a game and it's been two months or even, even 30 days since I last touched it, I'm more likely to restart the game to relearn everything than I am to continue to where I left off. And at that point, you've kind of just shot yourself in the foot because you've created created a Sisyphus scenario where you're going to keep pushing that boulder up the top 
it's just going to come rolling back down and then you're going to have to go all the way back down and then roll it back up. And it's just going to, that's all you're doing. That's all yeah. you're doing. When you could yep. go and watch a playthrough or a boss rush, never have to touch the game, get a general understanding or listen to a, listen to a, uh, a synopsis. Like I've been doing with, uh, uh, Oni black mages, the channel that I watch a lot. I could, I've watched the, the uh, synopsis of uh, Chrono Cross and Final Fantasy Type-0, the Final Fantasy 13 games, all three of them. I can tell you them all. I can tell you the storyline for all of them. And I never had to play any of those games at all. Yeah, and that's that was the whole reason. Hysterical. That's the whole reason. That's the whole reason I used to play with the, play those games. You remember the, remember the game for the PlayStation called Suikoden? Oh, yeah, Suikoden. Dude, I can't tell you how many hours I put into that fucking game. <laughs> so we put in one, two, and I think it went up to a three. And your characters would transfer over to the other games. That was the first time you could transfer your save files to another game and keep the same characters. Because that was the only way to get some of the same. Like, uh, I think uh, Pesmerja was one of the characters that, if you didn't have him in one, would not come to two or something like that. I can't, like, I don't know this. I can't remember the specifics of it, but like, I, those games like that where you get highly immersed into the story. That's why I say like I play like those RPG style games like Final Fantasy. The Final Fantasy remake, I get it. That was my bad. I shouldn't have fucking bought that game. But like uh, I got sucked into God of War. It took me two weeks to beat it, but I was literally coming home from work and playing it for three hours. Going to work, thinking about playing the game. Came back home, played it for three hours. Went to work, and if I took a day off, it was because I didn't get home until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> so... <laughs> But like I forced myself to get through that game. Uh, same thing with Octopath Traveler. Octopath Traveler, I got through probably eighty percent of that game, and I haven't touched it. So now that you mentioned it, like I still have in the back of my head that I got to finish that game. So I'm gonna have to restart the game now because I don't remember even where I started. I don't even know where I'm at yep. in the story anymore. But like um, that, I think I think the older the older I get the more inclined I am to do tabletop RPGs because you can completely drop them for a year, come back and have the notes and have your character sheet and still know how to play the fucking game. Like you don't have to reread the rules. You can, you don't even have to jump to whatever new system came out. You can keep, we could still be playing 3.5 right now to this day and everybody would be happy with it. So I think I Phil Phil starting up a 3.5 game on Sundays. I'm just gonna leave that there. <laughs> no, I got. I'm by the end of October. Uh, I'm gonna be doing classes in the morning, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Um, doing union stuff, and then Sunday is probably either gonna be like either a chill day or catch up on what I didn't do on Saturday. <laughs> so I don't know. Like um, I'm still and. We're still trying to get. I'm at least I am. I've reached out to a bunch of people um, for interviews. I had. I mean, I think they all went back and listened to us, and I think we might have scared them off. But um, <laughs> I got Ernesto from Button Check, um, who was the only one that messaged me back saying that he would love to collab with us. And I gave him a time frame for this 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 afternoon, um, but I haven't heard a response from him. In fact, I haven't heard anything since he responded to me. This was what last on Monday. Um, I reached out to Celeste Conowich, who do, who's the dungeon master for Venture Maidens, and she's published with Cobalt Press, and she's published uh, some other books with Wizards. Um, I'm not ex really expecting to hear anything back from her, but 
Um, I've reached out to her. I've reached out to the quartering. I've reached out to who else have I reached out to? Sonic Fox uh, sent to me. I reached. I reached out to Wood um, that we were talking about last week. So I like. I'm trying to like. I'm trying to like progress this and it's just, it's literally cutting into the things that I enjoy, which I'm not complaining about. I fucking love doing this too. This is great. And the fact that we've been three weeks in a row now, this is fantastic. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to hear me argue about the consistency and the fact that we're doing brainstorming during the week and getting ideas and putting out stuff and each of us contributing in that regard, perfectly reasonable for it. And, no, and if I and if I can get you connected with my with my buddies and my connections on my end, I absolutely will. Because oh no, I, it's I, but the thing is, is like when when I get these interviews, like I have notes for Ernesto. I went back through his entire YouTube library. I've pretty much been keeping up with him for the last three years. I've listened to another interview he did with um, uh, Max Splicer who's another FGC like podcaster and he goes through all these, just the FGC. So I've, I'm doing my research on like um, with Rick Hines. Um, I'm reading his book right now. Currently I've have him. We're looking at probably mid October to get an interview. in. so I'm trying to finish his book so we can talk about his book, his Kickstarters that he has out, you know, like catch up on life because I've known the guy for a little bit. So it's I'm, I'm putting in extra work to try to get the, the wheels rolling on everything. And which is like, I mean, obviously cutting down into, um, you know, cutting down into the gaming time, learning about stuff. Like I have a, I have a pot, I have an episode I'm trying to work on now about, um, with a, a coworker of mine who does cryptocurrency. When we were looking into, when I was talking to, um, Ernesto, I went through some of my old tweets that I had with him like back and forth with him. And I was like, Oh man, I should talk to one of his sponsors who was into crypto. I'm like, uh, maybe he's not going to come on the cast now. Like, you know, <laughs> like I think I might've, I might've fucked up that relationship a little bit, but uh, we looked into it. That cryptocurrency that was trying to be sold back then when I called it a scam is it's not there anymore. Like it just up and disappeared. So my buddy looked into the blockchain they were using, looked into that cryptocurrency and then found a whole bunch of other stuff on how esports is used like there's there's a potential that people are trying to catch with crypto and esports and he's my crypto guy so i was thinking about doing like a whole crypto cast so it's it's i'm i'm getting more informed about this stuff is what i'm trying to say i don't know how we got here but this is where we are right now <laughs> this, this is the nature of the cast i'm not i'm not worried about it the same, the same song and dance we've been doing since f1 don't worry about it no, I know. I don't. I don't even remember where we started. What the hell were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about getting old. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. That, no, we were talking about the price of gaming, oh. gaming in the next generation, and and console the and, and console console choices. Like I said, yeah. other than the other than the proprietary uh, SSD bullshit for the X the, the Xbox platforms. It seems like a good enough deal to jump in on their lease program if I was going to go into the next generation, and that means even for the first so time even in that my lease life, program, I'd be jumping into Xbox. Xbox was cool, man. I had a I had an original Xbox, and I fucking loved the thing. And um, but that's back when exclusives were exclusives. Now, like you don't like. It, I mean, let's be clear here. I think the next Elder Scrolls game will be exclusive to the Xbox, and I'm going to stick with that. And if 
the Fallout games happen to turn out that way from now on, cool. Um, but I'm not a big Fallout fan, so I don't know. I think I, I really think Xbox is the way to move into this time around, and I think that's what I might be doing. As much as I want the the fancy router setup to go next to my other fancy router, <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary at this point. And let, until until that price drops, now mind you, if I wait, uh, I waited what four out of the five years for the PlayStation Four, and then picked it up at a deal. I mean, I might do the same thing around this time. I'm not in a rush. I'm really not. There's still a huge PlayStation library that I can work through. I still have my PlayStation Plus, so I can, you know, you still get the free games every month. The two, two, it's like two or three free games now at the moment. Which, by the way, right. Rocket League went free to play on all systems. <laughs> yep. So that was the big news this time around. But yeah, I don't think yeah. I, I didn't rush into the PS4. I don't think I'm about to rush into the PS5, and if I rush into anything, it's going to be the Xbox. Yeah, it's it's just it, they've they're they're edging out a nice victory if they can keep playing their cards right to get people to jump on their bandwagon for the, for this generation moreover than the PS4 or PS5. But to be fair, there are always going to be people who are brand loyal, or maybe they're specific specifics on the one system over the other, like the new Horizon game is going to be on, is going to be an exclusive for the PlayStation. If you like Horizon Zero Dawn, the new Horizon game probably is up your alley, so you're probably going to spend the money on it. Not that it really matters at the moment, because the pre-orders for that, the, that system was an absolute fucking shit show. Oh, both but, of them. Both of them, yep. I found, uh, it was bots. Bots bought everything, and then they're just reselling the stuff. So it's like, I don't know, I think COVID exposed a lot of um like holes in everyone's plans is what happened and people are oh. capitalizing on it you have people still selling i was just looking it up today uh, my sister-in-law was looking for a nintendo switch the gray joy cons which i found out they're no longer making gray joy cons since like april of this year which means they're probably going to discontinue the gray joy con nintendo switch so all switches right now on Amazon are at like 324 bucks, which is what? Um, $50 more. No, no. About $25 more than what the actual thing goes for, not including tax. So people are trying to make $25 extra. Like they're like literally scalping at this point. So it's, it's crazy because I, you thought like I thought Nintendo was going to start doing like these huge things, especially with when they did the um, Animal Crossing special edition, you know, the Smash special edition. I thought they were going to start putting out special edition ones that came with games. So you basically, you got your game for free, but you're still paying full price for the Switch and you just got a different skin on it. But man, like people are going nuts with this stuff lately. And when I say that PlayStation is not going to have, are going to have stuff released by Christmas time, I still believe that. Same with Xbox. I still believe the Xbox stuff is going to happen. But like, man, like, why was nobody ready for this? Like, what happened? Like, no, not not a single industry was like not affected by this. Oh, well, uh, obviously Wizards. No, not even Wizards got affected with it with Magic. You said that they didn't even yeah. have a full blown release. Well, most of their pre releases uh, since March or since April, um, all of their organized plays on hold. But moreover the logistics that they're having with a lot of their new, with their new uh, sets as they come across, um, especially with Zendikar. Zendikar is coming out the full release for each, for each uh, LGS and any platforms and uh, distributors is 
in two waves. And it's the release date, which was last Friday. And then another week, I'm sorry, yeah, last Friday, and then another week following that. And that's ridiculous. You should have full, you should have a full first wave out for players to buy any at this point. The in most cases, the, the actual day the system, the actual day the uh, the cards come out or are supposed to be rotating well, in because it's a so standard to change too. Yeah, to, but to be fair with that though, nobody is doing like you were saying. Nobody's doing the really, really physical play stuff. The problem is, is that Wizards marketed to a physical market with the box toppers. Like you marketed to have a physical release. Why weren't you ready for that? Because they never. They, they, because they, because of the because of the COVID backups, they've had problems. This is not something that's out of the blue. Um, what was the most recent one? Uh, Double Masters had release issue, hit release hiccups. Uh, the Commander 2020 decks, the Nicoria stuff had hiccups. Stores were complaining that they weren't getting anywhere near the amounts that they were asking for for sales since yeah, I think it, since Nicoria. But I think that's only Magic that's having that problem because Wizards on the D and D front is doing fantastic. The Icewind Dale stuff I think went off without a hitch. All of their D and D stuff seems to be releasing pretty consistently and not having any issues. And then you have Magic who they can't even print the fucking cardboard. Like, come on, I don't know. Half their business no, model, I- half their business model is fucking amazing. The other half their business model is like, what the fuck were you thinking? You ain't gonna hear me argue. And that's yeah. honestly one of the major headaches, headaches that people have. And going forward, I don't know, because we have we have Commander Legends, another a draftable uh, EDH set coming out. I I think it's coming out November or December, which means that spoilers will be coming out for that. That's another fucking headache because a lot of people, the the major thing that people are having with uh, Wizards products was wallet fatigue even before that, and they still have. Secret layers coming out, which are standalone, like five or six card products that are premium products that people can buy directly from Wizards website that have rarer cards or new art or something to that effect. As kind of a as kind of a luxury item for players, they're really targeting the the whale market uh, on that. And it's but the problem is is they're 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 writing checks that their their asses cash so when they do a uh when they're doing a secret layer they're not even coming out when they say they're coming out dude there were issues with um the fair the the pharaoh stargazing secret layers people weren't getting them at all like they weren't getting them until months after they were supposed to i thankfully i only ordered one and i got mine relatively quick by contrast to everyone else who was like i still haven't seen anything i haven't heard anything wizards no one's talking it's a constant fucking shit show yeah if there's one thing that i've actually learned within the last like months so i got a bunch of friends that are into the sports cards and um i think it's it's tops maybe some uh mosaic you, there's a mosaic nfl set this is the first time they've ever done it and they're releasing all these cards now mind you hobby boxes have um what is it? 12 packs and they're going for $700. The cards in them can go upwards of 10 grand right now. Here's the issue is that you were just talking about wallet fatigue with wizards. 
these sport card guys are finding out how quick that this fucking cycle works. So now all these people are buying it, buying it, buying it. But guess what happened within the last month, not even last two weeks, sales have slowed. People can't move anything anymore. Everyone's looking to trade. They all ran out of money. Like everybody's just started getting back to work. People were using their, their stimulus checks and shit like that. To buy some of the stuff to try to like flip it and resell it and get stuff. Now, like you, you go into Walmart. If you're not there on a Monday at fucking 10 a.m., not even 10 a.m., 8 a.m. or a fucking Friday at fucking 8 a.m. to catch the guy putting the shit on the shelves, you're not getting anything. And Walmart's yeah. even Walmart in some certain areas have stopped people from buying product. And these are just regular like fucking $30 boxes that they're trying to sell. So Walmart's selling them, but they're now they're hiding them because it's causing fights between people. So when you talk about wall fatigue, I 100% get it. People are, are flying in to get this stuff to try to flip it fast, but nobody's going to go out and spend 10 grand on a fucking Patrick Mahomes mosaic card. That's, I mean, it's a first run edition. So everything in this first run, it's going to have some money to it. Like, there's like even your, your common like football player that you're going to pull out of the packs, it's going to have at least like a $10, $20 value to it because there's going to be a collector out there that's going to want to complete the set. So it's, I don't know. Even, even the sport card industry is feeling it too. So you, it, it's going to, the market's going to tank and it's going to tank hard real fast once people are, you know, now that people are kind of starting to go back to work and stuff like that. And they have to think about even, even the pop vinyl market, like that market's starting to take a dive too. So it's all the collectors can't keep up with what's going on. And the people who are collecting are running out of money. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta pick your battles here. (laughs) Well, okay. So backtracking to the, to the COVID situation, the statement was on the front end, and a lot of people who had their ears to the ground when that kind of stuff happened said, you're likely not going to have expendable income for X amount of months. So right. it, what's but going to happen is these luxury stuff... industries... Go ahead. Yeah. But these companies still stayed on their release schedules. That's the problem, is that they're like, oh, we're still going to push the product. Like We've already paid for this. So they're just hoping people are just going to start blowing their money on this stuff. Because there's still people who had the expendable income at that point. Remember, the way that the COVID ro- the, the COVID stuff was rolling out, a lot of uh, the, your non-essential uh, workers were the first ones to go down. That still meant that essential workers still had expendable income to go and uh, buy luxury items like video games and yeah, hobbies but we had and stuff like that. But, but we had, uh, but I ended up specifically in the situation where I was working so many fucking hours that I didn't have time to do anything I wanted, so I wasn't spending my money. I was I was putting money back into my house because that's the only way I could spend money. I would come home. I'd be like, oh, let's get new curtains or, oh, hey, let's hire a painter. Oh, hey, let's go. Let's go refurbish some furniture instead of having to buy new furniture right now. So like it for me, all it did was pad my savings account because I didn't even have the fucking time to go to the store to get toilet paper. (laughs) Not that you could for the first couple of months anyways, but I get you. Yeah, but I actually that, stocked that, up before that whole thing went down, which was fucking hilarious. And I just now this week am starting to have the problem where I can't find toilet paper. <laughs> so from March you until toilet paper all over. Yeah, no, I well now, yeah. But if if there was still the same situation, I would I'd be in some trouble because I think I'm down to like my last two rolls. <laughs> that's that. Oh, that's fair. So, but yeah. it, it, but with a lot of other people, your situation is 
because the industry you work in, your hours got ratcheted up because of COVID. Oh, it took, a, like, it took a 65% like, increase in e-commerce sales to fucking screw the entire industry I work in. <laughs> absolutely. But when it comes to people like people who work at Home Depot, who work at, they didn't get extra hours. In fact, a lot of those places, they actually lost hours because they had to create a very narrow time of, yep. of uh, open and close so that they could do full sterilization both before the store opened and after. So you had to, yep. you had a situation where people weren't leaving, weren't getting any more extra time. So they still had the expendable income to go and buy little, you know, little kitschy shit like, you know, hobby stuff and uh, bric-a-brac and such. So for them, yeah. that's what those companies were relying on going forward. But the issue I had with that is there was no way that they could justifiably do that because they didn't have the product. All the all the distribution well, centers and uh, and warehouses were all closed at that point so they had or at or limited capacity so they couldn't feasibly keep pushing forward but on the same note they can't just stop operating you can't no, I got down but and here's still the, be a profitable company by the end of the year you'll fucking tank well let's talk about the two major hobbies that we're talking we're talking about cards here so we're talking about sports cards and we're talking about magic the gathering specifically i don't know about Yu-Gi-Oh or how any of the other stuff for them got handled or even pokemon for that matter but imagine roughly the same because even Konami probably was hurting for this with uh, uh, you, right? Yeah, because people are less likely. Well, I found actually a friend of mine who sells on TCG Player said that his sales picked up since everybody was home because a lot of people were looking online for specific cars and then buying the stuff that they needed. But um, that's secondary market, that's not even primary markets. You have to look at yep. it as a, as a degenerate gambler type attitude. Because what's the reason we buy packs? We're chasing the dragons. We're chasing the the big the big money cards, the stuff that we want, without having to go out into the singles and buy those. So we're we're in the mindset of hey, we want to crack packs. Same thing with the sports cards industry. A lot of these guys are buying clo- sealed product and opening it up to try to get the cards they want instead of having to buy the secondary market prices. So it, it's a gambling aspect, which is addictive. So you have these people who are not making much money because they're not getting the government assistance. You got the people were that were staying at home at that point. And well, you know, the extra 600, whatever it was, I think it was like 600 a, a week that unemployment was getting. And there you have these people working, still working their minimum wage jobs. They didn't get hazard pay or any increase in pay until months later when, you know, laws got passed on it. And even then it was only a $2 increase to their pay. But still, like these people are taking their hard-earned money and then spending it on gambling. That's what it is. It's literally like it's the nerdy lottery. I I think of. But the, okay, so I like cracking packs. Most cases, I like limited formats. So drafting and stuff is pretty fun. For me. Unfortunately, but, but I can't we're not draft drafting it. right. That's what I'm saying. Right. So now you're you're now you're buying it just to crack it because there's there, you can't draft it now. But the problem ends up being that the, the gamble is much more tangible now because for the first month or two after covid kicked pg player card kingdom um any of your secondary market sellers they were on a free and they couldn't really sell singles as much as they were unless it was more local because they could do like uh they could do drive a drive by drive by carding that's what we're going to call it they could do drop off (laughs) 
But oh, okay. doing it cross country, the mail system was completely fucked. And it was oh, fucked yeah. for a good month and a half, two months. And to be fair, it's not 100% right now either. Because no. the government wasn't allowing the, the mail, allowing the postal service to take overtime to be able to mail shit, which I find absolutely fucking ridiculous. Right. And yeah. now they're cutting, now they're cutting back people's hours. This, this is what I heard. I, I talked to the mail lady on my route and she was saying that if she doesn't come into work, like say she's on vacation because they, they have to take, they could take their vacations or she had to call in sick for some reason, their routes didn't go out. They sat at the hub. So literally people weren't getting mail for like two, three days because their, you know, their drivers were either hurt, sick, um, on vacation, whatever it was. They don't they didn't have enough replacements for people. So it's like and then they were getting over slammed with all of the stuff that was being sent out. So I don't know. It's it's the reason why Amazon is doing was doing a lot of its own distribution. It's and the even then they still can't they still can't even handle their volume. No, not at all. <laughs> FedEx, UPS, DHS, those companies are probably still just as just as wandering around with their tails between their legs as anybody else. Anybody who who had to deal with that glut, that saturation of commerce, yeah. I assume that they were running around like the house was on fire because they got more money and more prospects than they ever imagined, and they didn't have anywhere near enough human capital to make any of that work. We we didn't even have enough trucks to hire people to train them. They were they were they were training in rental trucks. <laughs> yep, that that's what uh, and that's what uh, Amazon was doing too. I was seeing a lot of Amazon trucks with the branding on it, and then I would see rental U-Haul trucks that look the with the Amazon people wandering around. I'm like, oh shit! All right, that that's that's what we're doing apparently. And yep. uh, that's, for me, I don't. I don't really order from Amazon that much. It's not an ethics thing. It's just they really don't have anything I'm for. If I order anything for video games, I order through stuff because, I mean, if I've got credit through them, why the fuck wouldn't I use them? If I had an Amazon credit card, I'm sure I'd be using for that. To- but You know, I found out from a GameStop person that uh, if you have the GameStop credit card, they're no longer offering that to people. So if you got it within, like, I think it was like two years ago, they said they stopped producing it like they they stopped offering it so if you have one you're lucky <laughs> well a lot of people have one the funny thing is a lot of people i talk to GameStop have a gamestop credit card which i think is pretty funny um, well i think the people that work there i think they they were trying to increase their if you follow camelot what was it camelot 331 or whatever on youtube <laughs> he's he's literally cataloging the shit show that is gamestop at the moment it, it's fucking hilarious well it, the funny thing is is their shareholders meet public so he can sit there and he said it himself he's like if you're a publicly traded company they don't have a choice their shareholders meetings have to be publicly televised because if you're an investor if you are a public investor and you purchased any kind of their stock, you need to know what the hell is going on with their company. So there, he's getting a great deal of information because it's just out there. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's insanity. But I wanted I wanted to, I wanted to uh, circle back to something you were talking about earlier. Pop vinyl. What the hell? What kind of beanie <laughs> baby ass bullshit did they fucking go try and hatch here? No, I have no, never so... like seen such saturation of pop vinyls everywhere. Hold on, Everywhere. hold on. I, I want to be clear about this. Uh, when I when I ran 
my my company, Rebellion Games and Collectibles, back in the day. Now this is um, how long have been uh, me and the wife have been together for nine years. So about nine, ten years ago, I was in that market of those pop vinyls and those types of collectibles before GameStop, Target, Walmart, Hot Topic. They all got their exclusives. So there was already a market for it. Now it's just exploded. And here's the worst problem. There's a secondary market to that. So when some of these get released, people scoop them up and sell them and buy them and then resell them for two, three times their value. Jesus, who the hell is buying plastic nightmare figures? I mean, Dude. to be fair, I'm going to say it. I have hot vinyl, but who's going that hard into it? Like I've, um, I have a couple of people I follow on Twitter who show their rooms, and it's a fucking wall of cardboard and plastic pop vinyl nonsense. Yep. And I go, holy fuck, dude, what the hell? And if the secondary market pops like, uh, or bu- bursts like, uh, like fucking Thai Beanie Babies did, they are going to be stuck with the most useless fucking figures they will ever see. And it's going to be the same scenario. Well, here's, here's the worst part, is that people aren't buying them at the fucking $10 cost, people are buying them at like their 30, 40, 50, up to like hundreds of dollars. There's a buddy of mine put a down payment on his house by selling a pop vinyl for 10 grand. Good Christ. <laughs> yeah, there's a market out there, sir. And I was in it before anybody else got into it. And then when I stopped the business and now I'm looking at it like, man, all I have to do is go re-up my business license, and I could just jump right back into this hustle. <laughs> yeah, you try and juggle that along with everything else you just told me about. I think you, by the end of it, you'll rupture a fucking vein. Oh no, I'd have to fucking I'd have to hire someone to definitely help me this time. Well, I mean, I had somebody helping me before, like filling orders and shit, like during the Christmas season. But like, I literally have to hire someone to just take care of, just run the actual logistics of the business if I did it. And I just literally would be just a wallet at that point. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, that doesn't sound like a fulfilling life, but uh, you do you. I'm not no. going to argue with you on that. But like when you look at it from a, when you look at it from a layman's perspective, a lot of those things, th- those weird ob- obtuse collectibles, and it's not even obtuse because there's pop vinyls at Walgreens, Target, fucking gas stations sell pop vinyls. So right, like I'm, I'm for, they do, uh, it was, but just like just like magic cards they do limited runs of certain ones of them or they do um like alternate versions of some of them that are even more limited so like they have it down to a science where like you could buy like the ones you're going to find at like walgreens and shit unless you know what you're looking for are probably not worth anything but i walked into gamestop one day and i looked at the shelf and i found like three that i could resell for a hundred bucks did i buy them no because i don't want the fucking headache of having to resell them (laughs) Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And that's with any secondary market that you talk about. I couldn't conceive of going and doing something like that, even with like empty. Not saying that would be would be difficult because I mean you're talking about cardboard, but yeah. security security wrap, um, <clears throat> those fucking uh, USPS um, pack, packages you have to have. There's a lot of legwork that comes in, that goes into that kind of shit. And it's kind of weird because when you buy stuff from TCG Player or from Card Kingdom or from, uh, what was it, Troll, Troll something? Troll and Toad. Troll, Troll and Toad. Troll, thank you. 
um, Channel Fireball, um, that kind of stuff. There is a lot of packaging and paperwork and shit that you have to take care of. And it's, I wouldn't want to waste my time doing that kind of stuff. If you already did it, it's not going to bother you. But from, a, from an outsider's yeah. perspective, it's like I would never want to get into resale of anything. So it wasn't bad. Like when I, I was selling uh, magic cards, and that was one of those things where I would sell them online, wake up in the morning, be like, okay, I got these, fill out the stuff that I needed to fill out, well, okay, to be fair, at the time, I was working overnights when I was running the business at um, the job. So I would come home from work, look at what I had to do, fill everything I needed out, pull the, pull the cards, uh, throw them in top loader, or throw them in um, fucking, not penny sleeves, what are they called, like perfect fit sleeves, throw them in perfect fit sleeves, throw them into the top loader, throw a piece of tape on them, put them in the envelope, go to the... Go to the um, post office mail them out just for a regular stamp because it was fine then but if i sold anything that was value like a car that was like a hundred dollars um 60 70 whatever dollars i would insure that card and i would take the hit of the extra cost of the shipping it just because every time not every time but like there'd be one or two people a month that would be like oh i didn't get my card so then i go okay well i'm at least gonna get my money back and i know you stole my card for me well i don't know that they stole the card for me but i could assume that they stole the card for me but it's still at the same time i could refund their money and then get my money back to the post office so there's i mean there's extra stuff that you have to think about for sure but at the same time you have to it becomes a routine like if you can get into the routine like i'm telling you man you could sell cards like water on especially on tcg player like i went from a level one to a level five seller within like two days jesus yeah and that was just staying on the listings because at level one you can only upload like 10 cards then you go level two they give you i think like 25 or 30 and then when you get to level five you've got basically unlimited cards so i could literally put up like my entire collection and just sit there and watch the sales happen that's pretty nice yeah so it's it's not as hard as like you think it is, but at the same time, you have to have a system for cataloging everything that you're selling. Realize that if you're cracking packs, most of the stuff in there is garbage. And if you sell anything under a dollar, you're, you're probably making money on it. Well, so. I mean, if you've ever, wa- if you've ever watched uh, uh, Tolarian Community College, when he does his uh, box openings, it's called the box and what he does is when a set, when a, a set comes out for MT, he will crack boxes to to the value of the box. So if he spent if he bought on TG Player a box of Zendikar Rising for ninety five dollars or plus shipping, so a hundred, he would have to make a hundred dollars off that box to crack, to sell that and buy another box to continue the process. And mm-hmm. I think the most I've seen him crack was like five or six boxes. Did that? That was during probably Kaladesh or Amonkhet, where they had the uh, in, in the invocation intervention, which were worth like fifty to a hundred dollars, depending on what you pulled. And the stuff that he was making greater money on, or like with cons of, cons of Tarkir, where they had fetch lands and stuff, where you could crack those. That's where he was making the most money to be able to do that stuff, but. Like he actually did, um, 
uh, Ikoria, and he didn't even break even beyond two boxes. And yeah, that's also with the fact that he was doing that as the market was changing week day to day as he as he was recording it. Because remember, he would buy a one box, crack it. He would spend the time selling the cards off, and anything under two—I think he said anything under two dollars—he wasn't counting. So he would have right. to make at two dollars plus on each card that he was cracking to get the value back on most of it. And that was—and he would average, depending on what the set was, three and uh, fifteen bucks card based on you know, mythic yeah. and rare. So. Yeah. It, it, it's just it's just a crapshoot with that kind of stuff. I couldn't imagine shelling cards like that in bulk. Like that was only him doing that just for fun. Being a card seller, I couldn't imagine that. And I listened to card sellers on uh, on uh, fa- on on YouTube who talked about it. It's like I would crack a, a ten, I would crack almost ten thousand packs, and you know have to and be stuck with like fucking six or seven full boxes, like giant long boxes full of bulk that I couldn't do anything. I, I couldn't imagine being yeah. able to store all that shit. That has to be a pain in the ass to be storing all of that extra stuff. You find you find a way to sell the bulk by like the 50 or 100. And it's, I mean, it's it's more work is what it is. But at the same time, like, if... Yeah, if if it's under two dollars, you're not making money on it, and then you got to find a way of okay, well, what's being being used in the top decks? I have four of these kind of uncommons; they belong in this deck. Okay, I'll sell those set of four, but now I have to take that to eBay because eBay is I'm more likely to sell it at four. But now I'm taking a bigger hit on the um, uh, what's it called the fees. So it's like, and you you're taking the eBay fees and PayPal fees at that point. So it's like you have to. There, there's a balance between it and a lot like Tolarian Academy. He's buying the boxes at price. What I was able to do was talk to a guy and try to buy them at cost. Or when um, uh, Glenn was still alive from Westlake, where he had the cheapest cases, you can go in there, pay $600 for the case, and you'd be making your $600 back because you were paying it, buying them way lower than what. Um, you know what the actual cost of the boxes were so if if you're going to crack packs and sell them you better have an in or have your own shop and not sell anything to anybody and just run the singles market which is kind of why i don't like another reason why the, the head issues with the the gaming goat was because he would take half his allotment and then the other half of his like he would split his allotment in weird ways so he would buy all at one time for all of his stores, but then keep a, like a big majority of that for his singles to be able to sell singles. Well, now he's cutting down his actual allotment. He's he's basically taking from other people. That's what he. That's what that's what it is. As you're 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 taking away stock from other people because you're trying to sell singles and make more money on the secondary market by paying less for the starter boxes. Well, if you look at the way uh, MTG Finance works, there's two different avenues to make money. You either make money on your singles or you're making money on sealed product. But the problem with sealed product is, is unless it's a master set, like, like ultimate masters, double masters, the money that you're making is negligible depending on how much money you're spending to getting those boxes. Cause a right. lot of people, when they jump in, 
it depends on your distributor. If you have a good distributor, they're going to you're and if you can get a decent case price for it, because you, you, depending on the size of your business, you're probably not going to get more than one or two cases of this. We're talking about people who go in like Rudy from Alpha Investments, who goes in and buys a fucking pallet full of cases of magic cards in a yeah. warehouse that I don't even know what the fuck he ends up doing with half of it. And getting I, honestly, I think he. I think he was like Glenn. He would jump in, see a struggling business, and then be like, hey, I'll buy all of your stuff from you and get a discounted price. Because Rudy doesn't – I don't think he has an in with distributors like that. He buys them secondhand off of people. And the way Glenn used to do it was see struggling comic shops and stuff like that and be like, hey, I'll buy all your stock for this amount of money. Basically yeah. controlling the market yeah. and take, taking it away from people. Yes and no, because depending on who you talk, a lot of the people who I who I watch who know Rudy comings and going, he does have connections into the uh, distribution industry when it comes to hobby stuff. Because uh, you know those random mystery boxes that Walmart and Target sell that have a bunch of random packs and yeah. uh, old uh, Planeswalker decks and sometimes dual decks and stuff. He bought like a considerable amount of their stock because he saw potential there. Because when when a company like Walmart or Target ends up uh, um, come rotating out of a specific uh, set, so let's say it's at the end it's of the car rising, they send them back to the distributor. Well, there are companies that go in and buy that stuff and just sit on them in a warehouse. So a lot of the stuff that he ends up getting, boxes of stuff, because even more so, some of the bigger bigger uh, um, companies who sell the stuff that aren't big box stores like Target, Walmart, etc., they do the same thing. They send their stock off. We're like, well, we're not going to be able to sell it. We don't make any money off of this because they're not in the secondary market where they can be like, I'm going to sit on this product until it's worth X. So right. he kind of he goes in and does that that same thing that Glenn did, but he does it with bigger companies that do distribution be like hey nobody's buying this stuff i'm gonna i'll buy it all off of you for at a discount and he gets it from there but he does have ins with distributors to get newer things too he'll go and he'll undercut lgs's from this is all this is all allegations by the way this is alleged right he'll yeah, undercut he'll LGS's and say, hey, no well i don't care but i it's, it's ass covering regardless because again, this is all secondhand information, tertiary information. I'm not. I'm not going to spill. I'm not going to cut someone's kneecaps for this. Um, <clears throat> he'll go. He'll go and undercut smaller LGSs and buy out what they were going to buy, and buy pallets of products be doing that kind of stuff. So if he goes in on Ultimate Masters, he go, or uh, uh, Double Masters, he goes, "Hey, uh, I know this LGS, this LGS, this LGS are." Uh, smaller, and they're not going to be able to pay pay you as much for the product, and you're not going to get as much out of it. Well, how about I take their alloca- take a percentage of their allocation plus what you were offering me? And because the connections he has are like, well, okay, take it. If you can move it, move it. Because the, at the end of the day, the distributor, especially if you have the if you have the right license to the industry, I imagine you can get away with a lot more murder. It's about it's the it's the uh, it's the rapport you have with the company. I imagine. They're they're just trying to move their product because that's how they make their money. Because they don't make their they make their money by distributing by selling to stores instead of making their money 
worrying about what the stores are doing. They they have no no skin in the game of if that product sells, if that product whatever. What they're trying to do is just move it out of their warehouse because they've already fronted the money to the company. So they're just trying to make their money while you're trying to make your money. So and even then their cost isn't anywhere near as the same amount of cost that you're getting from a uh what's it called? Like an LGS to buy from the distributor. So like it's it's like a a scaling thing so like wizards is going to sell to the distributor which is going to sell to the lgs so the distributor has to make a certain amount of money so they're getting their stuff at a discount from wizards now the distributor is selling to them so they got to make money so you know they're they're offering a discount to the lgs for the same time they're still making money for off that product so they don't care if that's if that lgs moves it or not but at the same time they don't want the stuff returned back to them so right. it's like yeah, it's the, so they they don't care. They're just trying to make their money. So if you're gonna if you're gonna spend a shit ton of money, okay, cool. I'll sell I'll, I'll sell everything to you. Like whatever. <laughs> but the problem ends up being is that the agreements that a lot of those distribution centers have with big box stores, they don't have a fucking choice. The the, the, right. the if Target doesn't sell their full allocation of whatever uh, blister packs of boosters that they get, they have to take them back. But I imagine the loss on that isn't nearly as bad as like an LGS buying something that they they want to return. So well, I, guess it, book, I guess that's the trade off. Imagine the book industry. At the end of the month, if the books that don't sell, they send them. They send. They tell them to rip off the covers, and they don't even send them back. They tell them to toss them in the garbage. And these companies Absolutely. are still sending books out. <laughs> Dude, my my uh, my sister in law when she was younger worked for B Dalton Books, and at the end of the month, if they didn't sell them, she would just come home with a pile of fucking novels that didn't have covers on them. Because again, they, they, they would, they drop them down to like 50 cents a piece and have the, have their employees buy them. They don't yep. care. It's product that they have to get rid of one way or another. And yep. in a lot of cases that even extends up to like the food service industry too. At the end of the day, if you have fresh food and you can't do anything with it, they just give it to their employees. They're just like, get, get it out of here. Cause we're going to throw it away regardless. Yeah, no, uh, but, uh, that's but then you run into there's a new a couple of new barbecue places, especially like out this way, nine one one barbecue. I know out here, and I've heard of a few in Texas that do it, where they have their their meat for the day. They prepare it the night before, or like you know smokers, whatever, and then they'll sell out by like noon. But they've made their money for the day, so they don't care. So all like as long as people come in and, and buy like you know, their barbecue, they're going to keep making it, but at the same time, they're not going to overmix and now they're wasting it. Right. But, and, and the thing with that is that actually adds to the appeal for their company because they can go and say, we do fresh barbecue every day. We smoke everything in the morning. When we run out, that's when we close our doors. And, right. and, and it makes people come in and kick down their doors trying to get to their food before they run out. It's an ingenious selling, selling mechanism. Because when yeah, you and have especially if it's like good. That, oh, absolutely, a hundred percent if it's good. And like I had, we had the same situation over here, but they tended to, they tended to make more food, but they had a lower. They they also had a closing time that was a little bit earlier. So if they had leftovers, I think a lot of their employees ended up walking away with the leftovers. It's fine. I mean, they're smoking right. stuff all day. Perfectly reasonable. So right, it's yeah. it's an ingenious idea, but. Across the board, when you get down to a lot of those, car a lot of more cardboard related situations, it's a bit more um, nebulous because you do, depending on the company that you're, that, that's buying from you, 
as a distributor, it really does change the dynamics of what you're, what the flexibility of how much you can get rid of versus how much is going to come flying back out you, uh, flying back at you in regurgitation. Yeah, it's so. just it's it's crazy to me that the the companies in the hobby industry are basically creating their own demand, and they don't have the supply to go along with the demand. It just it blows my mind, and it's like it's every company. It's not just um, you know wizards or whoever we've mentioned. It's it's literally every company across the hobby, like industry, like any type of gaming industry especially with miniatures that are creating a demand that they just can't keep up with. Even, I mean, GW did it to themselves too. Really? Well, yeah, every, I mean, they, so with the Indominus boxes, they sold out ahead of time. Right. And I said, they went to a print on demand system and then they literally released that same, those same boxes, like smaller versions of them with like the same type of miniatures, like probably a month or two after the boxes came out. So they created their own demand. And then now they're trying to slow sell that same product, but now they have too much supply, I think on that stuff, but that's their starter box this time. So now I, you know, they can keep up with that, but then you got fantasy flight that does with their X wing. Hey, we're releasing this wave of X wing. Um, Oh, by the way, we didn't get enough ships in. And now we're going to have to wait six months because we're still printing them overseas. So it's like you're releasing a wave of stuff and then don't have the product. I think at that point, and this is going, this extends out to a lot of your uh, um, uh, OGL stuff. OGL had the right idea. Open gaming license products for like Cobalt Press and, uh, Grab the name of the other one because I got their psionics book for Pathfinder. Absolutely. Oh uh, man, I wish I wish Earth Edition would bring psionics back. That'd be fucking fantastic. Dreamscard Dream Press, Dreamscard Press, Cobalt Press, those things. They've been a print on demand beginning because having a warehouse full of full of product that you can't move is a dumb idea when you're in the book, and especially when it comes to gaming resources where PDFs tend to be dominate the market more often than not. And especially with gaming books being a luxury item, and we've talked about this in older podcasts, we mm-hmm. have, if you own a book for D, that's for personal use. If you're gaming, you're oh, yeah. likely using a PDF because you're not going to crack a book every 20 minutes because you can bookmark things too much, too easily in like Adobe on a tablet and highlight stuff if you have character abilities and things, or if, if you're a DM, it's easy to be able to keep uh, story hook stuff bookmarked that you can just kind of bring up on demand as you need it. So yeah, that's, booking, I mean, the whole thing with having... D&D Beyond. The oh, whole, the whole, well, yeah, D&D Beyond, you can buy all their books and stuff digitally straight from Wizards in their own program. Just like GW with all the codexes and stuff like that. You can buy all their digital stuff, so they don't, they, they don't have to share any of that profit through like iBooks or whatever, like third-party system. Like, they're, these companies are selling their own books digitally at the same price you would for the physical copy and collecting all that money. Well, that just seems like a smart thing to do in general. Oh, yeah, but, 100%. Um, and it's more convenient for me, especially because like, I love having the books, but that's just more for my library, just like the Nintendo games. It's just more for my library to show off than it is for me to actually use them. 
but it also is something where for me, if I'm reading through it, like if I want to go cover to cover on a book, uh, on a source book, I'm not going to do it on a PDF. It is a pain in the ass to read on a PDF because the same effect that you would have on a for Kindle you. just doesn't translate for me very well. It's easier for me to crack a book and flip through the pages because I can throw a bookmark in there and read it at my leisure. When I'm doing it, when I'm actually playing a game, that's a completely different mindset that I have. I'm trying yeah. to make sure that I have the resource on hand and I'm indexing things effectively. So it's a different um, dynamic, especially with that. So I, I 100% made the change to digital everything that I'm reading. Um, like Rick's book, I'm reading it digitally. I just learned how to use their shortcuts and their highlighting and their bookmarking on the on their apps and stuff like that. Um, and I all of my books currently for Games Workshop, all the special edition that came in the box I just got, have been um, digital copies. So I'm a huge fan of the digital copy now. And literally have physical books just to be like, hey, I have this. <laughs> so uh, for me, it's easier to just is to read it. It took it took me about a year to get used to it. And there's it's so weird that you can still flip the page like normal, or you can just tap. And I've found myself lately just tapping the edge of the screen to flip the page instead of flipping the page like I used to, which is what got me into the e-reader thing, because. I always wanted that feel of still flipping the page. And I had that because you could literally still flip the page the old way. It's just sliding your finger over the thing. And I mean, I get it. I get the feel part of it. Like you want the feel of the paper, but for me, for some reason, holding the, the, the tablet is just, I, I mean, it works for me now. I, I, I can't complain about it. It did. It did take me some getting used to, but um, now it's my preferred way of doing anything. Which is good. I'm glad that you've adjusted to it. Now, I have. Now, when it comes to novels, I can read from a from an e-reader pretty easily. I've read um, eight, I've read George R. R. Martin's Wild Card series. I've gone about two or three books into that, and I've read uh, the Dresden Files books on a tablet before, and it's doable. I, I, it's absolutely doable, and it does feel comfortable um, when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm much more. I, I understand that concept. And it makes it much more accessible because when you've digitized an entire an entire library of Alexandria worth of knowledge, you can and you can access it so easily. You're going to end up using the easiest way to read it. And yes, when it comes to novels and stuff, they're very much a very much a centerpiece or a conversation in your room. You're like, oh yeah, I totally have this book, but I got the digital copy and I read it that way. Cause... Yeah, it's um. Uh, I, I've moved too many times. I mean, obviously, I'm not moving any like anytime soon now. But I've moved too many times and lost too many books and series of books to be like, hey, I need physical copies of everything now. I can't do that anymore. So it's now it's like now it becomes like a clutter issue, I guess, for me, because it's like I only have so much space. I mean, I have more space than I've ever had right now, but. I still need to fix areas of my house to be able to put in shelves to display these books to make everything look nice. So for me, it's more of like a clutter issue and more convenience issue than it is like I hate like paper books or anything. It's more of like a convenience thing for me. No, and I totally understand that. And that's kind of what's going to end up happening going forward with a lot of people anyways. You're eventually going to hit 
a point where the, the people are gonna be like, wow, you really don't have that much in your house. I'm like, well, I, all the books I read are on my Kindle or Nook or whatever you'd read it on. So I don't really have any books on my shelf. And I play video games digitally, so I don't have a library anymore. That's just going to be the wave of... And that's Again, that, that's part of the whole growing old scenario with what we were talking about earlier. What we have as our centerpiece to our homes, our gaming havens, that kind of thing, are going to be vastly different than Gen, than Gen Z is going to have going forward. When they finally get their own houses and stuff, it's going to be a lot more tech-centric. Tech and a lot of the stuff and that would be considered no, no, it's valuable. Just, it's just going to be, be more room for. It's just going to be more room for pop vinyls. Let's just be honest here. <laughs> you, 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 everything's going to be pop vinyls. That's it. That's all you're going to get now. No. Oh, stop <laughs> it! <laughs> no, I, I mean I, I want. I had shelves for some of my gaming stuff that have been taken over by knickknacks now. Um, so now I, I have a better agenda to push the finishing the basement. But at the same time, like I still have like my little touch of things everywhere. Like I have, you know, I have a couple pop vinyls. I have my miniatures that are displayed in a display case. I still have my amiibos next to my, like my systems, you know? So like I have, my little touch of like nerdy around my house, but definitely, definitely want like that man cave nerd feel. <laughs> and that's completely understandable. And that's going to, and when you finally do make the place fully operational, those little touches are definitely be that way. But also you're going, as you said, the library of games books that you have are going to be more of an aesthetic than a, uh, anything that you'd ever actively pull off the shelf and look at it's the same right. way with a lot of people but a lot of it back in the day when people had libraries and studies a lot of those books they've either already read before or i have no interest in reading at that point they just have them on there as kind of a conversation starter oh you've the read Dickens? oh yeah totally <laughs> the encyclopedias that all of our parents had on their shelves oh my goodness being a door-to-door -door salesman during those days must <laughs> have been an experience oh man what our generation encyclopedias to selling knives is that what it was and they were like oh we we trust people with sharp things now just go go sell them knives at everyone's house <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, yeah i'm not uh I, i'm not keen on thinking about things from the past when it comes to having to sell shit door to door i can't like i said i couldn't imagine going through the bullshit that they went through with this i mean it's basically if you look at the the way things have evolved like a telemarketer must have been a headache not that I ever have any respect for those people as a whole, and I have always appreciated the fact that they got fucked with, but they weren't selling things the way that a lot of door-to-door -door salesmen were selling. Those people were selling and grocery goods, shoes, so like they actually had real things that they were selling. Oh, what what was the what the fuck was the name of that that pyramid scheme? They're still out there. They own a stadium somewhere. What the fuck was the name of it? Amway. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're, fucking, you got to be more specific. Fucking, fucking Amway. So, yeah. Um, no, I don't think... Uh, I think people still get sucked into their pyramid scheme bullshit, but I think a lot of the door-to-door -door sales shit is gone. Now it's all um, impulse buying on the internet with targeted ads. That's what that is. You say that, but I still have family members and friends on Facebook 
who do Mary Kay, Tastefully oh, Simple. Pepper I forgot about Chef. those. That sh- dude, that, ever since Tupperware, that shit's been a thing. And people have been doing that kind of stuff. Because it, it turns into a little bit of a party. People... You know, yeah. and they make it a make it a big to, big to do, and it's just like you're selling shit. That's all you're doing. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to shit on people who are representatives for it. If you're doing something to entertain yourself, or or to make a little little scratch on the side while selling your friends something or quality. From what I heard, Pampered Chef stuff's actually good quality. It's just it's just another type of door to door sales. Yeah. So, and, 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 like like a long time ago, for a birthday party for a friend of mine, she got a uh, a like a person who sells uh, sex toys and paraphernalia to throw a, to, oh, a, throw a, a party. That is that is still going on now. It's like I I don't know how I feel about you trying to sell me a dildo. I don't know. <laughs> well, it wasn't anybody anybody knew. Actually no, no, but out to get somebody. But you know what I mean, though, right? Like, it's like, it's like, if you took that up, I'd be like, uh, what? <laughs> so, like, first, first of all, you know, I would do it out of sarcasm, and you know, I wouldn't break eye contact with you the entire time, and I would no. say some serious shit. No, that's the funny part. But the, I, the, the way I actually sat through one of them, and not, and not sat through one of them, like my wife sat through one of them, and she was literally watching it for the humor part of it. And I was sitting there listening, like, what is going on right now? And <laughs> I think I would be the f- perfect sex toy salesman, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> well, knowing you, Just, you'd, be, you'd be deadpan as fuck. There wouldn't be, you wouldn't laugh. You'd make it uncomfortable as hell, and then by the end of it, by oh, the time man. you got in your car, you'd be cackling like a mad person. That's what I'm saying. Oh god, it'd be freaking fantastic. Uh, look at look out for the angry war game or sex toys coming to you next year. <laughs> wow, you're just you're just branching off in every direction. Oh Card game, sex toys, trying to re up your business license. When are you going to have yeah. time to live? <laughs> We're going to have the branding and it's going to just be all over everything. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of, within the next week, we should have our new logo up and then uh Facebook page can start growing. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Man, I don't know. How long have we been talking? I don't even know where we started. I don't know, but it's funny as hell because we've actually had some topics we've been talking about and i, I and know, we, right? I, we you know how you know how we do we got our two main topics out of the way we spiral off into the fucking hellscape like we yeah for sure and um i guess i guess we've pretty much stayed on topic with sexual harassment and i don't feel comfortable with this conversation anymore drew so i'm gonna need you to, oh, to keep the sexual harassment down to a minimum even though this is not a joke so <laughs> fantastic don't. Oh man! No, don't stop now, Jason. I'm almost there. I know, right? No, for in all seriousness, though, the whole sexual harassment thing, I feel like it's just another way. And I, I, I posted this on Twitter yesterday. I said, at this point, if you're gatekeeping, you're just an asshole now. Like, just straight up, you're an asshole. And that's what that's literally what the sexual harassment shit is: is you're gatekeeping a community because you feel some type of way of, I mean, women or men for that matter, because. If you think about who is um, Momo-kun, fucking, um, 
cosplayer. I don't even I don't even want to say she's famous. She's probably more infamous at this point. She was going around like grabbing guys' asses and stuff like that, and then making comments of you know, if I was grabbing dick, like you'd know I'd be grabbing dick. Like ha 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 ha. And I was like, what? And then when people called her out on it because you know the cosplay is not consent and she's the glaring light of female cosplayers sexually harassing men like she blames it on her ADD like oh I have ADD it's just I can't I can't control it like what I'm like no I have ADD and I don't go fucking touching random people that's just not me like that is that is a smoke screen if I ever heard one oh man and honestly I feel like the people who are who who are doing the sexual harassment are like have the entitled mindset like they're owed everything it's it, it blows my mind like i i can't i can't believe anybody in the, oh that's the other thing i want to get i want to try to get a cosplayer if, if you know any big cosplayers or if any cosplayers listening to this um and you want to be on an interview and i'd love to interview about you whatever um in fact if you're this is going to sound really woke for a second but if you're uh female lgbtq or a person of color that'd be even great because i would love to hear your experiences in the anime world now that i've become more aware of how some people have been treated in the community so yeah i'm gonna put that out there so if you listen to this and you want to be a part of the podcast and you want to throw down your um your life experiences and just have a good old interview time with us. Uh, definitely hit us up on either uh, Twitter or uh, the Facebook page is going to be open pretty soon. So, yep. Um, oh, going along with that, I've been listening to a um, podcast is held by somebody that works at wizards. I want to say she works at wizards. She handles the adventures league. I don't, is that part of wizards? Uh, I think that's D and D. Yeah, um, she does a podcast called Behold Her, which highlights um, women in the tabletop gaming industry. And she had one podcast that I was like, at first I was like, man, this is really cringy. But then like you start listening to the message and the message is there, but you can tell the nervousness of the person kind of took away from the message and it was about decolonizing D and D. And I know we talked about this last time with yeah, how we were talking about race, racial class or uh, races and uh, racial stereotyping. Yeah, this is, that was two podcasts ago actually. And um, so they're saying Both that most of the stuff that's written in the books, like a lot of the stuff has been like being updated right now. The stuff that's being in the written in the books has still that Tolkien mentality of human good. We must colonize. We must go kill all bad races and colonize everything. And I get the message, and I I can't help but reiterate the point of and it, the the person being interviewed. I, I God, I wish I could remember her name. The person being interviewed. Um, was talking about, um, you know, if if you are not accepting of this, you need to not play at my table, and that goes back to what we said, where 
you know, you need to read the room. You need to know your players. You need to know what they're okay with. And there's actually another, um, I think it was either on the same cast or a different podcast or a different episode of that same podcast. Behold her. Um, where somebody set up a like pre-game like screening like uh these are the topics you're okay with these are the topics that are 100 off the table they cross the line and gave like some resources for that so i thought that was cool because like that's kind of what we were talking about because you, you kind of want to make sure that you the people that you're dming for want to be okay with so so like the example she gave is she doesn't like eye violence so like if something happens to the eye she doesn't she doesn't want like the gruesome effects of you know like the my eyeballs melting or whatever she doesn't want the gruesome details of that so it's like if something happens yeah okay gloss over it and move on because that's her line so it keeps everybody at the table more comfortable now the other thing i have to to really say is that a lot of these things that people are complaining about like decolonizing um the the racial stuff the uh what i feel comfortable with every single one of them and every single thing i've read have been about one-shot campaigns like the adventures league stuff and convention gaming so if you're not playing with people you know all of these make sense but if you have a normal gaming group you kind of already know and what what people don't want and put people do want and what kind of lines you can cross or tiptoe uh, versus what things you should not be talking about. So I think if you're looking for a new game, there needs to be a screening process. And I think there should be a screening process both ways. One for the DM, because you might end up with a new DM that just doesn't give a shit. And two for the DM to screen the players to be like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Are you okay with this? If you're not okay with this, we'll completely take this off. Uh, and, and honestly, that makes, like you said, that makes perfect sense for one shot because you are working with a, a, a wild card scenario of they're coming down and sitting down in front of you. You don't know what their temperaments are, what, what their thought processes are when you go into it. But I think it also where you are boxed a very specific pathway to run. Now, some people are okay with this. And I was listening to a couple of podcasts talking about um, convention, running games for convention and the different dynamics that end up going into play with that kind of stuff. Being able to ad-lib and think on the fly with that is very much a unless you are absolutely by the book going over a module and not de- delineating from it at all. And I don't know... Because I've never run a game for a uh, convention, I've only been in one, convention. and it was it was a. I had no expectations because I was never I'd never played Call of Cthulhu before, so my expectation, what I was getting was very much, whatever is cle- whatever's clever, and that's the way I've always that's the way I've always. Looked. But what, like you said, you're cutting you're cutting specific people from the herd of friends that you have. You're making a solid long running. You already know what their mindset is, the level of humor that you put into it, scripters and kind of shit. Absolutely something that you're always you're already aware of because you know them. 
Right. But I, at the same time, and this is where I'm going to sound real hypocritical. <laughs> I Bring don't, it, I'm ready. I don't think it's wizard's place to get political with it. Now, if you want to change like certain word typings, certain descriptions in the book to be more fitting. Cool. But this is going to go back to the dark sun example. Do not cut campaigns, historical campaigns out that have a, a fan base, no matter how edgelordy or disgusting or terrible it can be because people don't, like there's a group of people that don't like that. Now, if it's the majority and that's how the company's moving forward, okay, fine, I get it. Um, but at the same time, I don't think the company should be putting politics in ahead of cutting out their player base. Does that make sense? I, it sounds real. It sounds fucking terrible the way I'm saying it. No, no. Okay, this, I'll, I'll glean what I've what I've what I've heard from. Don't if you're okay. A company. Let's let's put it from this perspective. A company's objective: maximum saturation their product. Right. What you have to do is establish when you establish a customer, you try to expand off of. It. What ends up happening with a lot of these companies creates such a wide reach product, or attempts to create a wide reaching product that they're created on the front on the back end, who already jumped in with both to that product. What you're saying is don't alienate by neglecting the, their expectation of things well, that you've already put out historically and with, with great consent. That's what well, I'm hearing. Here, here's, I think, the over-glaring the over thing as I'm trying to get it, is that you want to be inclusive, but at the same time, you're being inclusive with restricting a certain crowd. Now, mind you, yes, people are toxic. There are toxic people out there. You could not release specifically Dark Sun because it is the worst campaign that they could possibly release. Specifically Dark Sun that will bring a certain toxic type of people to the game and to the crowds. I get that. But at the same time, it's excluding while being inclusive. Basically, let people be what they want to be. Like... um, I listened to an audio essay on that podcast I was talking about, the Beholder podcast. I'm going to go, I'm gonna, I'll give details on that later. But anyway, um, on that same podcast where it's a um, black trans woman um, that was having a game with their friends, and uh, somebody brought up the point of, hey, if D&D was real, what would you be? And, you know, people were like, well, I'd be a human, I'd be a dwarf. Um, and she was like, I'd be an elf off the surface. That doesn't sound bad. Does it like, you don't think anything. You're like, cool. You'd be an elf. But one of her friends was like, well, you couldn't be a high elf because high elves are pale. You'd have to be a wood elf because wood elves are, are darker skin tone. That's just a flat out racist person. I am not going to tell somebody. Go ahead. Also as well. It's what? That's asinine as well. That's what I'm saying. And it's like there are literally people out there who say they're like allies to the LGBTQ people and saying that people, you know, saying that they're allies to um, BLM or um, 
you know, all and I can't even think of another one. I think those are the only two LGBTQ and BLMs, you know, saying that they're allies of this stuff, saying that they're not racist. But then all of a sudden somebody wants to play something in a, in a fantasy game, a fantasy game. I cannot stress that enough. A fantasy game. And you're going to tell them that they can't they can't be a certain skin tone or a certain subfaction of that race because of their skin tone. That is, that yeah. just blows my fucking mind. It, it it is an ignorant fucking statement, and 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 honestly, it's something that shouldn't you shouldn't what would compel you to say that, even if you were doing it in jest, which at that point I just especially if you're quote unquote friends with this person, if it, now now if it's a one shot and that person was just being ignorant, that's a separate headache. I'm not gonna no, but that's I'm like, not gonna go into like, it. That's like me telling Lando he can't do something because of his skin tone or because like like what? <laughs> well, you also take people out of the the fantasy experience when you say that kind of shit. But that's what I'm saying. To, I, I I understand. I know what you're trying to say. It's it's stupid. It's it's absolutely fucking stupid. But I'm trying to get back into uh, for uh, your statement about um, wizards not changing source material. Here's a better way to. Here's something that I would postulate would be a better way of create a basic framework of your, of the narrative of the the fantasy narrative you're trying to create because obviously you got to create a world that you're that people can live in and what things can do okay, and well, really and, and expand hold on expand out your ogl and if people right. want to make dumb shit like dark sun or something even more reprehensible then they can do that, and Wizards doesn't have to have any connection. Because, again, when you have an open gaming license, as long as you're not ripping off something you know, wholesale, Wizards doesn't care what you do. Same with, with Paizo, same with uh, any other company that supports lo- uh, open gaming license. So why, why not just let, let, the, let the people, let the third party do it, and then you there can you have a basic framework that has that that satisfies everybody, and no one has to feel like something's been cut from the game. Right. Does that make so, sense? Right. That, uh, no, I agree with that. That actually, I probably take that stance more than anything. Here's here's what they were saying, and this is to create the baseline, which is we agree on this, by the way. Is that like there's descriptions in the actual player's handbook currently, like right now about um like half elves and how half elves are treated you know it's this you know, they, they say certain things like oh they're outcasted by like the elves and stuff like that like taking away that outcast portion of it like taking like it making every race or every playable race more appealing to everybody instead of putting somebody into a fantasy setting where they have to relive something they're they're already living through or have lived through or you know you know that type of thing like a, a lot of people more enjoy the fantasy setting so changing the main books like um the curse of strad stuff with um with that stuff that we talked about like changing that stuff i have no problem with that but it's i feel like if you become too quote unquote inclusive you start to become more restrictive Agreed. But, I absolutely. But allowing, but allowing the OG third-party system, allowing people to create whatever they want to create, I can agree with that because not everybody has to play everything. You can stick to one setting, like you can just stick to Eberron. You can just stick to, um, um, 
the Forgotten Realm stuff. You can just stick. You can stick to Greyhawk stuff. You can just stick to whatever your group wants to stick to, or what you personally feel comfortable sticking to, and let people do whatever whatever else they want. Yeah, uh, I, and and for me, that creates a larger, more expansive for everybody to jump in at any, at any, at to anything they want. And the framework and building blocks are still there for wizards to go and make supplements and modules for the for the license they have, Forgotten Realms, Eberron, etc. That, that it's all there, and they don't have to take anything away from what they're doing. This is what these do. Here is the base classes and base uh, character. Um, what are they? What they? Were, what was the statement they were going to use? Culture slash heritage that you can call yeah. upon for your character. And there you go. And then you can that the, the flavor gets added in by everyone else in the OGL community. You don't have to. You could be as hands off as you want. No, I agree. And the, the thing is, is though, is that you have the cancel culture that's moved so far into one direction that like you you could release something and then the next day get canceled for it. Well, if you're doing an OGL game, it doesn't matter, especially with a lot of the smaller in, uh, companies. I don't think it'll really matter. And and one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand from a, uh, especially with a smaller company, really, I know you want to go and reach a maximum audience with what you're creating, but if you're creating a module or a standalone or you're creating a world that has an overall overarching that might be more controversial on its face, you just have to accept that that's something that's going to happen, and you need to put it out there on the front end. You don't have to say yeah. something, you know, gritty, gory bullshit, but to be fair, I know it sounds jackass, but an ESRB sort of scenario with a lot of the shit and a lot of our role-playing might actually be helpful for people to make the decision that they need to make when it comes to that kind of shit. It sounds stupid, but think about it. If you are a person who has... A, a number of uh, who has a specific temperament and you need to know when you crack a book that there's going to be a specific uh direction and an overall narrative if you flip it over and you see a rating on it and it basically says this book contains adult theme um nudity sex etc you can make that decision as an informed consumer not yeah no 100 percent. i can agree with that but um, I don't especially, think. Well, also I, especially as younger kids are getting more people. Well, that's the problem is because going forward. Well, right, but now if you look at it, when we were kids, when remember when the adult advisories came out of CDs, what were we more drawn to? We were more drawn to listening to the adult advisory stuff, the ESRB for video games. Um. I'm more like when the mature thing happened, like people had to have their parents buy them stuff and their parents are still buying them stuff. There are legitimately parents that do not care what their kids get into them. No, I agree. I agree. But when you're marketing a kid's game, like D and D I can see where there could be a problem, but if you're doing, but if you're, if you're having the OGL that, you know, the OGL take care of that stuff, that's fine because that's third party stuff and wizards doesn't have to worry about it, but wizards does have to worry about it because there are people that will connect that stuff to wizards, even though like, even though they found it randomly 
and Wizards isn't promoting it, like that's what I think Wizards is worried about. And that's what I think a lot of the community over there would be worried about. But I agree. I mean, there should be some sort of labeling like on anything, even White Wolf for that matter. It says the world of darkness, but you have so many toxic people in that community that it's like they might as well call it, they might as well call it the world of edgelords and just lock them in a cage somewhere. But the game wasn't created for, for that reason. The game was created to give a horror aspect. And yes, some bad things happened in a horror aspect. But does it mean that you have to be exposed to that all the time? No. And the funny thing is, is that even the White Wolf stuff, it doesn't expose you to that evil stuff. It's the storytelling that exposes you to it. So yeah, I think... When you, when you use narrative play... You can you can evoke dread a lot more effectively than just talking about something in their throats. I absolutely agree with that. And to yeah. a point, White Wolf was a lot more t- the way they explained than you could actually say. Because what was it, Black Dog? Wasn't Black Dog the accompaniment that was actually a lot more dark, uh, gory? Oh, I don't I don't remember, but. Here's the here's the here's the catch is that when you sit down at a table, I can do this in D and D fifth ed right now. The way it is, you can give me a kid's version of it, and I could still tell a story that would be so like traumatizing to certain people just because of descriptors and situations. It doesn't matter. Like you can market whatever you you could hand me fucking shoots and ladders, and I can turn that into like a, a version of Saw for that matter, like. but you know what i mean like it's like you have like it it all relates to the storytelling and how far your players will let you push you and i get like the whole marketing to everybody thing but at the same time some people need that like push to be that creative you're not going to have people that you know there's there's gonna be certain people that want to run a horror style game and they don't want to just use zombies and undead for everything. Like they want to set up like elaborate traps. They want to, you know, put you in a situation where like, I mean, horror to me, I love psychological horror. And I like the whole point of watching psychological horror is that you want to be to push the limits of your of your mental like ability. Like you want to be a, you don't want to be put in a safe space. You want to be put in a situation that like you, you're going to panic at some point. Like that's like, that's the type of like psychological, that's where I feel psychological horror goes. And you can do that by just like describing and threatening certain things. But there are people that, that want to be able to tell those stories that can't because they need a certain, like a certain push, I think. And that's right. That's where I'm saying, that's where I'm saying that they, they can kind of be more inclusive by letting the OGLs or like the quote unquote edge Lords writing certain types of campaigns. But okay. So there's a difference between somebody, an independent person going out and creating a campaign or a, um, a setting that they're going to use for personal or with their friends. It's when you get to the, when you go to the next step where it's a smaller independent publisher, who that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, so if you're trying I to make money that. on it, that's a problem. But if you're, 
trying to use it for personal use, it's okay. OGL, well, no, because OGL it precludes you being able to make money off of it as long as you don't go into uh, a great deal of a proprietary source. So obviously, you're going to use the the you're going to use a lot of the same keywords that the base game would use. Uh, the, you're using whatever the system they're using for dice rolling, etc. Is used, but what you put into it specifically is what's supposed to make it. So a lot of the open gaming license stuff is usually done through a company. And yes, they do make money off of it. I mean, by contrast to what uh, Wizards makes on PDFs and stuff, I don't think it would imagine to be penny, pennies on the dollar, but they're allowed a certain percentage. I don't know what any, I don't know the actual inner workings of what OGL does. I just know I have a bunch of OGL PDFs for, for uh, old Pathfinder and uh, I think I actually have a couple for Fifth Ed. I think I just ended up with, but a lot of them, some of them are darker, some of them are more gruesome. They're all over the place, and I think as long as you can still reach into that market, into that pool, and pull from whatever you want, you can run any campaign you want or, or any game that you want just on the fact that the range of open gaming source is so vast. And it really, to me, I think you can really, you can really go balls deep on that kind of stuff. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no, just like because the only reason, like I, I like, I think I'm so torn between everything is that that campaign that I've been working on that I told you that I've had for fucking like 15 years now. Like there are portions of it. There are there is like you know sex trade. There is situations that you know are not exactly like kid friendly that you know people are put in like um there is some like, slave trade there is like some slave things there are like sexual situations there's a whole town that has like a brothel of vampires and it's like you know there's certain like situations in it that yeah you can dumb it down and, and make it more friendly to people but at the same time it allows for that darker aspect to things that some people you know don't want or is completely against the whole like you know cancel culture type aspect can i cut them out of the campaign um yes but they're kind of heavily involved in the story so i would kind of have to change the whole campaign because like the some of the like the sex trade and like the brothels and the and like part of the slavery stuff is kind of tied to the main story well, what you can do in those situations, and what I've noticed with that kind of stuff is, is you have the person and you can just basically say the character went off to go do something else. And uh, what ends up happening with a lot of that stuff, and I think this is a, a feature that uh, a lot of storytellers in White Wolf actually use really effectively, is you can parse off your group as necessary to get it so that if there are people who have specific temperaments that aren't comfortable specific subject you can still have it integrated into your campaign and also make it so that they don't have to worry about being a part of it by just having them do something else and what you can do is you can create a scenario where they're going off and doing something else you could then take them to take them to the side and have them work on another aspect of the plan or go off in town or maybe right. they're doing something completely different and then you just have the group come back together and everybody gets what they want, and you don't have to worry so much about 
is there going to be any kind of friction because there's never going to be that um that 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 uh butting of heads no one's going to have to be angry because you were talking about the sex uh, you know sex trade or talking about slave tradery and slave trading in in, in a uh, I'll use it I don't want to use it as a specific but in a drow kingdom mm-hmm. as it stands you can have all of the, to me I honestly think you can have any you can have what you want you just have to be willing to bend and move with the situation and that's really right. where a lot of where the breakdown ends up happening for people is they don't want to make the to make that kind of uh re- and no, it's a lot definitely... easier than people think there's definitely flexibility in the story and how to play around the story, but at the same time, it, it's still there. It's still an overshadowing topic that's part of the game and that, or part of the campaign, I should say. But like you mentioned, the drow, and how about the the freaking story for the druger, the 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 dwarves, oh, the dwarger, yep, yeah, the deep dwarves, yep. I'm aware. Right. They're they're literally slaves stuff. to the drow. <laughs> Yep. So and I don't know. And, and you and, and and that and that reaches further into um, the, the more uh, pressing aspects of the Underdark as a whole, because you have the Illithid there as well, and you have a bunch of different moving parts there that you would have to unravel the whole ball, the whole ball of yarn, and restructure the Underdark from the ground up. Unless you're just going to gloss over it wholesale, it, that stuff still happens. Because right. that was the original intent of the creators of the Underdark, whoever ended up writing it. I'm off the top of my head. I don't. But yeah, so right. I, I, well, and the whole part, I get what the you're whole trying part to with Ari, The whole thing with Ari Salvatore and Drist, uh, like, that's part of his backstory. <laughs> Absolutely. That, and I understand that. But with a lot of those older, um, older novels and older uh, fantasy, it just doesn't. It, maybe it just doesn't have the same kind of market of market appeal. I don't know. Just just yeah. like, just put, just spitball in here. No, I, I can't I confirm you. or deny that either way. <laughs> no, it's it's funny because it's like me and you kind of think of the same way, and it's like with you know the whole freaking political climate that's going on in 2020 right now. Like I'm learning a lot that I just kind of I'm ignorant about. I'm a white suburban guy that never had i mean like i struggled but like i guess i never had the same struggles as like some other people that are out there and it's like and when when i say like i'm ignorant to things i mean it like i'm legit i'm like i'm not being like offensive ignorant like i'm legit do not know like i don't know anything about gangs i i know they exist i know what they do like i i I didn't even know anything about drugs in probably about my my 20s so it's like, come on, like I'm legit the epitome of the just unknowing, naive person sometimes. So like I didn't know fucking gatekeeping even existed. And then like all of a sudden, like the last like five years, like, oh, everyone's being a gatekeeper. This is what this is. And I was just like, people fucking do that. Like I was I was still under the impression that like up until like a couple years ago, then I'm like, dude, like, I can't believe people are still actually racist. And then shit like this happens in 2020. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, there's legit people out there that still think like this that aren't like old as fucking about to die. Like, what? I'm like, no. 
So they want to know why that you know I don't know why that ends up happening because the the aforementioned people who are old as fucking about to die tend to carry on those legacies onto the next of kin and so on. So it's it tends to be a uh, it tends to be hereditary because it those the, that philosophy is passed on. I'm still okay. I'm still like we're kids of the '90s. I'm still trying to get over um, some of the LGBTQ stuff and some of like the disability stuff, like. I I just I I don't know. I don't mean it in a harmful way and I say stuff is like gay all the time and I call stuff you know retarded all the time. I don't mean it in a harmful way and I would never say it to somebody with a disability, with a handicap or somebody who's LGBTQ unless you know I've known them. Like I would never say that to them. I'd never call them that. But at the same time it's like it's a hard habit to break and I, I get it. Like I do, I get it. I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but at the same time, sometimes like sometimes I use it to make a point, I guess. I don't know. It's like saying fuck all the time. <laughs> it's, like, it's like sometimes language is used to make a point, even though you don't mean certain, certain things a certain way. Like there's some people like sometimes you just need to offend somebody just to get them to, to like, I guess just to end the situation, like sometimes the best situation is to offend somebody so much. They're just like, they're so offended. They just need to walk out of the situation and then they just leave you alone. <laughs> I, I, I understand the intent. I, I think at that point you you just, it'd be better to just not say it and just walk away yourself. I don't know. Yeah. I don't no, know. I, I, would, I, never, I, I, I would never be put in that situation. I turn into a giant troll when I just want to be left alone sometimes. <laughs> That's just that's just me. And maybe that's maybe that's the if you don't have the intensity, maybe if you don't have the wherewithal at that point, maybe because you're not in the right headspace, maybe just not you know just saying leave me the hell alone. And yeah, you just don't have no, the like, power at that point. Like maybe I don't you're mind just ta- they leave you alone and then some. Yeah, like I don't mind talking politics, and I've I've talked to I, I have friends on both sides of the aisle, really, and I I kind of see myself more in the center of everything. And I, me catching shit for being in the center, I think, is fucking ridiculous. By the way, but at the same time, like, I can like I, people. I are think trying, it's fucking hilarious. Uh, oh man, I get, I get so mad about it, and it, that's what drives <laughs> me nuts. So like, there's sometimes where like I'll side with like more conservative values, and some people will be like, "Oh, you're a Nazi," and I was like, "Wait, what?" And then like I'll swerve the other way, and they'll be like, "Oh, you're a co- you're 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 just a, a fucking communist, or you're a Marxist," and I was like. Wait, what the what what? I was like, wait a minute, no. I'm like, have you listened to anything I've said to you? And then half the time I'll be it like, you know, matter. it doesn't matter. No. no, and then I'll literally like turn around and just be like, you you hit the far left person. I'll be like, Antifa is a terrorist group, and then they just fucking minds explode. Or like, <laughs> or I'll have somebody on the other side, and they'll be like, um, oh, you're a Marxist, and I'm like, yeah, well, fuck Trump. And I'm like, <laughs> as much as I believe that, like, still you know fuck trump <laughs> and that usually means their heads explode and i'm like <laughs> oh man it just it it's so easy to just get people like so heated about shit to the point where they don't even want to talk to you anymore that it's like it's almost the best way to get rid of like the toxic people is just to be so toxic that they're just like wow that guy's retarded <laughs> what the fuck dude <laughs> i know right <laughs> I'm glad that you found your way in or way around, I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, like half the time I say something, I don't like, I don't like, I don't actually mean the stuff I say as well. 
No, yeah, it's it's hundred percent. I don't mean the shit I say sometimes. It's just I'm just doing it to piss you off to the point where I don't want you talking to me anymore, and it's just easier for me to cut people out of my life that way. <laughs> no, fair enough. I, that is that is a methodology. I'm not going to argue with you if it works. Oh yeah, I'm sure it does. Oh, it's it's worked plenty. <laughs> anyway, um, we're headed to like three hour mark, so. I think we can cut it out here. Yeah, we can call it. Um, I did change my Twitter, though. So now you can find me at Angry Wargamer on Twitter. You can still search Obi-Wan Fat Kid. That should still be on there. But if you want the Twitter handle, it's at Angry Wargamer now. And um, Drew still at Punk Toast. Yep. And who I am think, I saying? Um, look, oh. I don't remember what Orlando's was off the top of my head. I don't I think either. it was uh, uh, not near my phone at the moment. Son of a bitch. Uh, Man, I'm sure. Uh, it's a rag, the, the, uh, at the Ragnarok Knight. That's what his uh, Twitter was. Ragnarok. And, and, then, um, and then Phil was last, last Hexile. Last Hexile, yep. So, yeah, you can find us there. Um, the podcast that I was talking about earlier used to be from the DSPN, Don't Split the Podcast Network, which apparently is run by a lot of wizards or wizard working with folks um which no longer exists now so the don't split the podcast network does not exist but the podcasts are still there and podcast that i was talking about was called behold her and it features women in the tabletop gaming industry and their stories and it's it's pretty good listen um i'm gonna butcher this girl's name but uh it's lisa Mm, I'm not even going to say her last name. First name's Lisa, and she runs Beholder, and she apparently is part of the what is it called? Uh, Adventures League um, people, like one of the people that works for the Adventures League for Wizards. So yeah, I don't know. She's really cool, so check out that podcast. Um, it's it's a good listen. If you're not into that type of stuff or you think it's cringy, then go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sticking with the theme we've had since the beginning. I love it. Oh man. I've been listening to too much Bill Burr lately. That's what it is. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, other than that, this has been the angry war gamer and catch us on, on Facebook at uh, angry war gamer or on the Twitter now. Yep. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Later.